So welcome to our show. We're going to be talking about a wide variety of topics. Uh, today, tonight, or whenever you are listening to us, uh, we are joined by Mick Giver. How are you? Thanks, I'm good. Still sunny here in the evening. <laughs> <laughs> it's 10 p.m. for him uh, over yeah. there. But I'm so far north, so it's it's daytime all the like 24/7 here at the moment, almost. Yeah. So where are you joining us? Because many in the audience don't know yet. Well, I'm uh, from Finland, and uh, like in the middle part of Finland, at the west coast. So, it, yeah. That's awesome. It's a it's a very different uh, kind of weather and of life when you have to deal with with those uh, light cycles, right? Yes, indeed. <laughs> now it's very bright, and in the winter it's very dark. Wow. And cold. So. I bet. I've only been to, to Norway and Oslo and Bergen, and uh, it was amazing. I love the place. But it's, it's, it's kind of close enough. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, um, and also we are joined by Porkchop Express. How are you, man? I'm doing great. Yeah, happy to be here. I have not been to Norway, but I am a uh, descendant of Norwegian heritage, so maybe one day I can convince my parents to go with me to Norway. Wow, but not Finland. I don't know. Maybe maybe I, Mick will have me over one time or something. We can get together in person. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I bet that'd be great. So, could you guys introduce yourselves, Porkchop? Sure. Yeah, Porkchop Express, um, also known as Mister Addons, an interesting name, if I do say so myself. Uh, <laughs> the Porkchop Express reference uh, being from. Big Trouble in Little China, my favorite movie ever, and I would also say the best movie ever. Some might disagree. But uh, yeah, just a professional slash hobbyist uh, electronics designer. I'm an electrical engineer. Got my bachelor's in electrical engineering about 11 years ago. Uh, I've been working you know, since then as an electrical engineer and picked up hardware design in the last couple of years kind of uh, with the with the Mr. Project that kind of pulled me out of the RGB modding, HDMI modding, console, custom SCART cable. Um, yeah, that, that kind of world that I was in. And uh, now I'm working on Mr. Stuff. Yeah, you've been doing a lot of work that we'll cover uh, from different angles, I guess. And uh, thank you for joining us. And what about you, Mick Iver? Could you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, so I'm, um, I've been interested in computers in the, since the 80s and started programming in the mid-90s or something like this. And uh, I studied programming also, so uh, I have a bachelor's degree in information technology. And uh, electronics has uh, been, uh, I have been interested in electronics also for quite a while. Actually, since uh, the, I made uh, my first controller for the Commodore 64, it was, I made it using um, a cassette case and uh, a sewing machine, like this uh, foot pedal <laughs> thing. Awesome. <laughs> but, and um, yeah, I've been uh, working as a freelance programmer for quite a few years now, doing uh, different projects and uh, i'm also a 
game developer. So I have released two games, like retro-style games. For uh, The latest game has been released on uh, Steam and uh, Switch. Uh, well, all the big consoles also. Yeah, Die Sword and, is the name, right? Yes, yes, that's the name of the game. <laughs> and then um, I've been uh, doing different controller pro projects and these uh, the controller adapters demon bite that have become quite popular now due to their low latency i hate latency so. <laughs> and we have a lot to cover in that regard because mr adams has been working on, on something related as well yes indeed yep yeah we'll have a a bunch to talk about but first i'd like you uh of the audience to get acquainted with uh, your your background you've already shared a bit of, of how or when you got started with with games but i'd like you to to describe it in a bit more detail how did you get into games uh, mick well i think i first my f the first thing i played was uh, an intellivision a friend of mine had um, and then uh, I got myself a Commodore 60, 64. And uh, yeah, my interest really started with the Commodore 64. I didn't do much, but like mostly gaming, racing games and, well, all kinds of games. And uh, yeah, then moved on to uh, an Amiga 500 and started programming on that also. Did you get some programming practice in the C64 as well? Not really. Some uh, like uh, copying code from magazines and stuff like this, but no, no like real programming of my own. I can't say. Yeah. No. I understand, but it's always uh, the way we all get started is by, by copying others' work, right? That's why open source and open hardware is so important. Yes. Yeah. True. And uh, so you got started with the 6502 then. And uh, you, do you remember any particular Intellivision or C64 games? Or Amiga games, for that matter? Well, in television, there was a racing game I liked. I don't remember the name of it. It was a, a top-down racing game. Hmm. Quite terrible now, actually, when <laughs> I tried it. But... Uh, you and, should try. Um, you should try Advanced Dungeons and Dragons on the television, Cloudy Mountain. I love that. Yeah, one. okay. Yeah, I've, uh, I've read about it. I haven't tried it. I've seen it just uh, like uh, a year ago or something. I read about it, but yeah. Yeah, you should give it a try. It's it's lovely. That was one of the games that influenced me the most back in the day. And um, regarding C sixty four or Amiga games. C64, I liked, uh, I played, uh, like it's an arcade conversion of uh, Super Off-Road. Ivan Ivan Man's, uh, Iron Man's Super Off-Road Racer. I really liked that one. And then, uh, yeah, well, Bubble Bubble, of course. Mm -hmm. Quite a few arcade conversions, I would say. I did, we didn't, where I grew up, there's only forest. So there's no <laughs> arcades around here. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, did you ever get to go to any arcade later on? Not through arcades, but okay. um, I visited places where they had like arcade machines, like some nice. um, restaurants and uh, and ferries and stuff like this. 
I didn't play too many like arcade games, but quite a lot of pinball games. Awesome. Then, wherever I could find them, in yeah. Uh, pinball is a whole complete different beast. Yes, my favorite one of those is uh, Medieval Madness. Nice, and well. Preserving pinball is, is something I deeply respect. Well, all preservation, of course, but pinball just scares me away. <laughs> yeah, it's very nice. And and how? Uh, what about you, Porkchop? How did you get into games? Let's see. I think my dad bought a Vectrex before I was born, or maybe when I was really little. And uh, so that's kind of all I, all I knew growing up. We had like three or four Vectrex games. And then eventually, after years and years of pleading... I ended up with an NES uh, one Christmas, and that was kind of the start of it for me. So NES was my first true love in gaming, I would say. I had, uh, I had an uncle in Minnesota, and we used to drive, drive through there every summer on a family road trip, and he had an Atari 2600. So that's my only experience with anything before Nintendo was really my uncle. And then I've played a Commodore 64, but I'm <clears throat> just a little bit behind, you know, maybe make in terms of that i started with the nes and then pleaded for a sega genesis for years i used to get on my parents macintosh plus and open the paint program and draw pictures of like sonic the hedgehog in the loop like every christmas just hoping and hoping <laughs> uh never ended up getting one as a kid but my friends had them so you know we did the you come over to my house and play nes or super nintendo i go over to your house and play sega genesis uh, and, you know, all the way up through PlayStation 1 and 64 Dreamcast. And then I kind of hit a period where, you know, from that era on was mostly first-person shooters. So pretty much played Halo up until, you know, after college, uh, whatnot. Got married and priorities shifted a little bit. But then kind of started getting back into retro games once I settled into my first house after getting a job and started kind of going back and getting all the systems and playing the games that I had always wanted as a kid. I think many of mm -hmm. us have done that. Yeah. Um, all the while I'd been using emulation on the PC, but I, I kind of got back into the, to the hardware aspect maybe five, five to ten years ago. Nice. And uh, what about you, Vic? Uh, what happened after the Amiga? Well, the, the Dark Ages. <laughs> <laughs> and I got into Black Metal. So, <laughs> literal dark ages then. <laughs> yeah. No, but um, I kind of, uh, I didn't lose interest in gaming, but my interest uh, shifted a bit to music. We started playing a few, like, I started playing the bass guitar and, and keyboards. I've been uh, playing, like, piano from since I was a kid, but... We started some bands and it, yeah. And of course, I played quite some games on uh, PlayStation 1, like um, Final Fantasy 7 mm -hmm. and some he helicopter game. I don't remember the name of it. It was some action game. And, uh, well, the PlayStation was. Uh, uh... A huge leap above the, the Amiga in terms of uh, the 3D and type of games, right? Yes, it was. I tried to uh, keep my uh, like uh, Amiga alive as long as possible. I had a 
CD32 also. Oh, I, really, wow. I was really hoping they they would come back like Commodore, but <laughs> yeah, I know we all love yeah. the, the those platforms because the the sound chip in both of them, the C64 and the Amiga, they are lovely. Yes, they are really special. Nothing beats the SID chip actually when it comes to <laughs> uh, like uh, like this chip tunes sound. I think. I mean, uh, there are a lot of other like fantastic chips, but the SID chip is like or a few steps above the rest. I would say technically, it's very interesting, but it's also very difficult to characterize because from the testing we've done, uh, that's that's not in depth. But David has made a lot of work in that. The 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 every SID chip sounds different. Yes, yes, I do. So that's really hard for for preservation or for having like a standard, right, of of what a Sith chip should sound like. But we all have an idea of of what it sounds like. That's it. But indeed, they are lovely computers. Do you still have those machines? Yes, I I have a few Amiga machines and maybe seven Commodore 64s or something like this. That's good. <laughs> That's and, awesome. And um, I haven't been hoarding them. I don't know. I just have <laughs> a few. Okay. Um, and uh, a pork chop. So when 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 did you finally get a Sega Genesis? It must have been roughly 2012, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably 2012 was when I got my Sega Genesis. Any particular games that you wanted to get to play on it? I think with Sega, I love playing Sonic, and I can play mm. about two or three levels before I just kind of fall off the game. It's like one of those games where <laughs> I can sit down and play it at the drop of a hat. I love it, but I really like exploring, and I feel like those levels, you know, because of the jumps, because of the launching mechanism, you just kind of get flung all through the levels, and I, I don't know what it is. One day I'll sit down and beat all of them. I'm kind of, I have, I have a list of games that I'll play if I ever like break both my legs and I'm just like in bed. Uh, <laughs> so I think that those three are on there. They are, they are great games. And there's a lot of, of games to explore in all these platforms that you've mentioned, because it's, uh, I don't know, I, I like that era because we have tons of options and there was so much that we couldn't experience as an individual. Yeah, totally agree. We, you know, I, I was the kid that had, uh, you know, a couple systems and maybe five or six games. And I was always kind of a half generation behind. So I'd get my mm-hmm. games at, you know, yard sales, or I'd get one game a year or two games a year for like a birthday or Christmas or something like that. So I kind of revel in, I need like 10 good games for a system and I can play those games quite a bit. And now mm-hmm. with, you know, having access to so many games, it's almost overwhelming. It's like hard kind of decision paralysis of like, oh man, what do I even choose? So many good ones. Yeah, and getting back to precisely that point, uh, do you spend more time tinkering or playing, My, uh, Mick? Uh, I I don't play much actually <laughs> nowadays at all. I don't have the time for it. I'll, I'll, or it's like uh, gaming for me is uh, doing stuff around the games more, like uh, making games and making peripherals or something like this. I really love that. It's like uh, yeah. So, uh, of course, I play games to test all all this stuff, but I don't, yeah, 
more like uh, some casual games that doesn't take too mu much time or no, energy. No RPGs for you. <laughs> no, no RPGs. No. <laughs> arcade games uh, keep being the main focus, I bet. Yeah. Or and arcade I've, style games, right? Sorry. Yes. Yeah. I've been. Uh, it's been really fun to try. Uh, I've like been uh, try testing games from uh, one system at a time on Mister. Like systems I didn't have when I was a kid. It's really interesting to try and find the to try the best games for Neo Geo, for example. And yeah, it's a whole uh, different area to explore. Like Porkchop was mentioning, any particular games that have uh, uh, surprised you, Porkchop, that that you didn't expect you uh, to like, or and they are. Yeah, I've definitely found a few. I was I was doing um, making some repro games for myself for Super Nintendo, and one of the ones uh, I'm trying to think, Gunman's Curse uh, is that it's kind of the Zelda style one for Super Nintendo. Was just like I played it start to finish, almost couldn't put it down. But kind of like Mick, I mean, as a kid, I had infinite free time, no responsibility, mm -hmm. and so gaming was just so easy. And then you know, kind of now as an adult. Also, like Mick said, I really like making stuff and learning. And so the, I do a lot of testing on games, of course, but I'm not uh, sitting down for long sessions of playing, except for when I had COVID, I was you know, in my bed playing Halo and getting destroyed and realizing I'm <laughs> probably too old to play first-person shooters. But otherwise, yeah, I, I kind of play test games and I love quick 10, 15-minute sessions and then kind of go back to working. I, I guess I know the answer to this, and everybody does, but do you play any modern games, uh, Mick? Um, not really. No. Well, actually, I do racing games, some rally games. Hmm. Any, any particular platform that you like, or, or games that you like nowadays? Yeah, I, I play on my laptop. I have a gaming laptop, and um, I, I really like, uh, like these um, dirt games. Mm -hmm. Colin McRae Dirt. Awesome. And what about you, Porkchop? Yeah, I, I got an Xbox Series X recently. And I mean, it's the first, I think it's the first console I've had that's been, you know, a period appropriate. Well, I'd see, I had the Xbox 360 as well. But like I said, I'm always one generation behind. Mm -hmm. uh, Forza Horizon uh, is super fun. My kids play that to death. And I played it a good amount. Uh, I played the Messenger played a little bit of Halo, and then I have a pretty good Steam backlog, Steam, you know, <laughs> back catalog, but, you know, you know how those are. <laughs> I keep collecting, but, you know, one day I'll find the time is what I tell myself. Yeah, we all do. We, we all lie to ourselves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, it's a lovely hobby, and we'll eventually get to the ones that we care about the most, I guess. And uh, we also now have a good idea about this, but... Any particular system or generation that is the most important to you, Mick? Well, I would say it's the, the Amiga, because it changed the, or like, uh, put me on the path where I am now. So, But 16-bit, yeah. uh, I think it's the perfect amount of bits. I agree. <laughs> what do you think, <laughs> Borchup? Yeah, I'm kind of... Right, right there with you. The 16-bit era. I mean, I have to say, NES was really for me like that's that was an inflection point in gaming. Because uh, for a couple of generations after that, it it kind of paved the way. At least in the West, in the U.S., that was that's what I experienced. 
And yeah, I mean, I don't really mind the early polygonal games, but I find that modern games, I mean, it's, it's the game genres aren't expanding that much and graphics are just getting better, which is great. I'm just not super on the latest and greatest graphics. Like to me, that doesn't make a game more or less enjoyable. I'm all about gameplay mechanics. And so for me, yeah, the 16-bit era, early 32-bit and, you know, late Nintendo era, that's hard to beat. Yeah, it certainly is. I, I think uh, it's not just our age because obviously the our ballpark ages uh, play uh, a part on our preference, but I I honestly believe that there's something more to that era in terms of the maturity and the kind of genre and games that were out there. And uh, obviously, uh, Mick already has told us that he has left the gaming for a while. One of my questions was, did you ever leave gaming for a while? Because I believe that most of us had periods uh, where, where this happened. He already told us that uh, he left a bit or for, or for a while for playing music. What about you, Burkchap? Yeah, um, kind of around the dream. So there's this debate going on on Twitter, and it's just endless. PlayStation mm -hmm. 1 or Nintendo 64. And I'm clearly on the Nintendo 64 side. And the reason is, during that era, I was playing multiplayer games with friends, like, mm -hmm. nonstop. Like, uh, couch co-op, whatever you want to call it now. So for me, right after that, um, you know, I, I kind of stopped playing RPGs with PlayStation 1, and then I was playing mostly multiplayer. Then I got into Halo at college. And so pretty much for a while, Tony Hawk and Halo was it. And I had to focus more on studies. So I kind of left it there for a while. And then, you know, early adulthood priorities, I did kind of leave gaming to the side just for other things. And I've come back to it in, in some capacity. But I mean, I still, it's like, you know, am I chasing nostalgia? I, I really do love playing, but it's hard to re recapture those experiences of when you're sitting there with your Super Nintendo or your Genesis or your friends playing Street Fighter. And uh, yeah. That, that's it for me. Yeah, when it's uh, about the multiplayer, it's a completely different game uh, because it's it's what you want is uh, companionship and, and the talks and the laughs, not not the particularly absorbed uh, experience for for a single player game. That's that's different indeed. Uh, but have you went back and tried, for example, PC Engine or Neo Geo, and not not for the yeah. multiplayer experience, but for exploration? I mean, yeah, for sure. Um... Less so with Turbo Graphics, although I've I've been through most of the catalogs. I really, I mean, my favorite arcade genres are beat 'em ups, shoot 'em ups, and fighting games. I'm not great at any of them, but mm -hmm. I really enjoy shoot 'em ups probably best. And I mean, Turbo Graphics has mm -hmm. a deep library of that. And Neo Geo, I've been emulating since the 90s. Uh, with uh, let's see, I can't remember when Final Burn Alpha came. Probably around 2000, but before that, Mame. Um, and I never understood why I used to be able to emulate. Neo Geo with such old hardware with older MAME, not realizing they were using lots of, you know, back then they were using lots of hacks to get the game up to speed. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, those are great systems. Yeah, they are. And and what about you, Mick? Have you explored back libraries? or And aside from uh, getting back uh, from games uh, for music, was there any other period where you did that? Uh, well, I've been... Uh using emulators for quite a while while but i've never really liked them because the like pcs or whatever you use takes away something magical from the experience it's you're distracted from 
uh, like a lot of things. So, so um, I yeah. kind of follow that thought. It's uh, it's like I like to to listen to music in a, a, a full album and not doing anything else. And it's kind of the same thing when you're on the PC, right? You you have like there you work, there you talk with more people, and uh, and also the boot up and everything. It it kind of makes it more difficult, right? Yeah. Yes, indeed. But yeah. um, in the in the late nineties, I I got myself a PC also to play some games. Uh, like I played Baldur's Gate, for example. I really like loved that mm. game. That's but awesome. That that was probably the last big game I played. And and don't you miss going back into something like that, in some manner? No, not really. <laughs> I wouldn't say. <laughs> It, it was good uh, once in a lifetime thing then. Yeah, That's more good. casual games now. I think it suits me better. Yeah, I fully understand. It it works like dropping a coin on an arcade machine or arcade game in the morning and get started. That's good enough. And five minutes and you're done. Yes, I'm also building a like a visual pinball machine, virtual pinball oh. machine, like nice. a sm a smaller one that I can have on the table. So. Maybe many in the audience don't don't know what that means. Could you explain it for them? Because it's it's a really interesting area. Yeah, it's like um, there's a lot of, uh, or maybe most of the classic pinball games have been re re recreated uh, on a like an emulator, and you can uh, you can make like you can also buy these fantastic machines, like virtual pinball machines that have like a big screen as a playing field. And then they also have a, like this back glass screen, and uh, you can connect the DMDs, like the score screen and everything, to them if you want. It's quite a, a big, like yeah, like really nice. And with the with the newer like uh, gaming PCs, you can reduce input lag quite a lot. So if you have a high refresh rate. I have a screen, the playing field screen on my machine is 144 Hz and it also has a free sync. So it's uh, it's really like fluid. The ball movement is really nice. And then I've made a specific um, like a demon byte uh, encoder mm. also that uh, supports like this plunger, analog plunger. That's uh, that's awesome. Is it related to the Control Arcade uh, USB controller that you have? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I imagined as much. And um, how did you ever find about uh, Mister Porkchop? Oh, that would be a Smoke Monster for sure. I had heard about the Mist project prior to him, but once he started kind of uh, really broadcasting his love for Mister, mm -hmm. I had just finished a full set of custom uh, individual shielded core SCART cables for every one of my consoles. I bought a Saturn one, but long story short, I was buying, I bought some coax cable from Tinkerplunk online and had just slaved through making all these SCART connectors into my uh, G SCART switch, into my OSSC. And then Mr. came out and I looked at the weeks or months of work I had done and I thought, okay, this is the future. Ended up <laughs> actually to the dismay of many selling a lot of that hardware because I could tell that Mr. was going to be the good enough solution where if the cores aren't perfect, 
maybe I won't know. And maybe there are some features on the core that my original hardware plus flashcard plus SCART plus, you know, video digitizing system, it just simplified it so much. So to me, it was like, you know, it was a light bulb moment. Yeah, I bet. But Smoke Monsters has always been a, a huge influence for many of us and who who had this uh, huge show that we hope someday, maybe he'll return. We don't know. But he he made a lot of uh, progress towards creating community, as you guys do. And we'll touch on that uh, later on. But then you, you were just into that rabbit hole for upscalers and shielding cables when you found about Mr. Did you... Uh, went directly for to open source current converter or were you into some older scope scalers before that no i actually yeah ossc was my first one i picked up an old pioneer plasma and it had had interchangeable it was a professional plasma so it had interchangeable in, in inter, uh, interface cards and i had one that was a bnc rgb input and it supported 15 kilohertz but there were some weird scaling artifacts and i you know i tried Yeah, I, I kept looking for the frame meister and it was like 300 bucks and at that time it was just too much money and so I eventually did OSSC was my first. That's really nice. So it's it's it was really a a very interesting time to get into this because uh, it was the perfect transition for you. And uh what about you, Mick? How did you find about mystery? To be honest, I don't really remember. <laughs> I think it was Uh, it was probably something Amiga-related, like on the mm. English Amiga board, the forum, or a Facebook Amiga group or something like this. I've, uh, I knew about the MIST project or the machine, but, but when I uh, heard about MISTER, I, I knew <laughs> this, this was going to be the excuse me shit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's... Um, It was uh, like seemed too good to be true, actually. <laughs> And was it difficult to to get your hands on one? Well, I ordered um, DE10 Nano from Mauser, I think, or DigiKey, And uh, then built the rest of the stuff myself. And uh, is it was it, obviously you have experience in that, but was it uh, difficult to build it yourself? Uh, well, not, I, not for me, I wouldn't say, mm -hmm. because uh, I was already familiar with soldering and stuff like this, and tinkering a lot. So, so I made this, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, like this uh, wooden Amiga-looking case yeah. for Yeah, for I saw it. that. <laughs> if, if you want to check that out, it's on his site. Yeah, you can check out... Uh, Demon Byte. I'm going to put the link in the in the chat in a minute. But uh, then, uh, how did you get into making stuff for for Mister Porkchop? Well, that's a good question. First, before I forget, hey Mick, where can we follow your um, virtual pinball setup? Because I've for years looked at that. I did looked at the posts, dreamed oh. about it. I'd be curious to see where your build ends up if you want to showcase it when it's done. Yeah, it's been. Uh, I haven't documented anything about that actually, so I don't know. It's um, nowhere at the moment. Um, I'll remind you in a year if it's not done by then. We can uh, we'll talk then. <laughs> yeah, I'm making it. It's not. 
it's not like uh, super fancy looking. I wanted it to be uh, like modular so I can easily put it away and take it like this. When, yeah, like when enough. I use it, yeah. So, fair but enough. yeah, maybe, maybe I will, I will like upload some pictures of it when it's ready and I've painted right it on. and stuff. Right on. To answer your question, Artemio, um, you know, I like many people, I ordered a set of 10 uh, USB hubs, 10 IO boards, and 10 SD RAM PCBs from PCBWay. And, mm -hmm. you know, prior to that, I had been doing console mods. So when I ordered my group from PCBWay, I just listed the other nine because I only ever wanted one for myself. And yeah, but those for, sold... for those listening in, it's, it's you buy a bunch of them because you have to. You have to order them that way, right? Sorry. Yeah, they have minimum order quantities. So it's like five or 10. Um, and so, yeah, I was forced to buy the 10. And I thought, well, I might as well solder these. Listed them on, I think, back then it was still the uh, the Atari form before we had our own form. And those sold so fast, I immediately dropped all of the console mods I was doing, the Ultra HDMIs the high definess uh, RGB modding consoles. I just basically pushed those to the side and just ordered another batch immediately. And just from there, I started from my batch of 10 then I ordered a batch of 30. Then I ordered a batch of 100. And then I was basically just coming home from work, you know, spending time with family and soldering all the time. So that's kind of my, the genesis of how I started this little side gig here. And, and it has grown to, to a huge proportion. And it's, we all thank you for it. And, oh no, uh, my pleasure. It's it's gratifying. It's it's really impressive because you guys have to deal with a lot of stuff. Like it's it's physical stuff. You have to deal with logistics. You have to deal with imports, exports, probably three D printing mm -hmm. and a bunch of things, like orders and shipping. And man, that's so much work. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work. I wouldn't I wouldn't do it if I didn't love it for sure. But it is a lot of work. There's a lot of uh, you know just running any kind of small business or the taxes, like you said, the tariffs, the import fees, the, you know, parts that aren't right or the messed up design or the, you know, just so many different hidden costs and uh, things that eat away your time. But again, so worth it in the end. Yeah, because every single part of that uh, for you guys is it's a bit of frustration, right? Every single issue that just stops you from just doing the thing. <laughs> it's, I bet it feels a bit frustrating and, and it's like, uh, okay, I deal with this and move on, right? Yep, it's uh, sometimes you just have to say, well, I'll get it next revision, <laughs> you know? No, and, and, and just like uh, Walrus has in the, in the chat, uh, customer service, that's also a huge part of this because uh, you have to, to be uh, civil and, uh, and grow a community, and I re deeply respect you guys for doing that. Nick's my role model. <laughs> And uh, how how did you get started on on building stuff for Mister uh, Mick? I mean, well, yeah, I I just um, I had like this uh, zero delay encoder or something like this. I think for uh, for an arcade stick I was building, and then I thought I kind of naively thought that it had like zero delay. Hmm. But when uh, then I, I saw the some test results, or I think, and then I saw how terrible the controllers, like how how much input lag they have and stuff like this. So then I decided I need to 
to make something to have a smaller input lag. Uh, this is a topic that I bet a lot of people will be interested in, in, in the terms of the details. So don't feel um, like we are uh, diving too deep. You, I, I believe that this, this will be good. What makes a latency from the controller an issue? Um, I think uh, most of the th time it's, uh, it's maybe not that you feel or like notice the actual input lag. It's just that uh, the game feels sluggish or, or like uh, it's not as fun or like much more difficult than, it, than you remember it being. Floating controls. Yeah, and uh, every single bit of lag or, or delay just adds up, right? Yes. And uh, it's the, like, uh, it's not, if the lag is not consistent also, like, the, then it gets much worse when it varies, like. And, and you both have worked on this, but how does a controller work when you connect it to something like the mystery? Well, uh, on Mr. Of course, there's there's two met methods, like the snack method, or like to uh, have like a direct input, so it's directly wired to the to the core itself. Then mm -hmm. you don't get it's uh, the same latency as, as it would be on the real machine. And then uh, you have the other option, the like through USB. And um, luckily, the Mister supports. Uh, like uh, one millisecond input or like yeah in polling input polling so thanks to that you can make a really fast like this, adapter for classic controls uh, what what mix says is that polling is the method by which the operating system in this case the linux side i'm guessing uh, polls the controller per second. It, it does a 1000 cycle, if I'm not mistaken, just as you said, a one millisecond polling cycle, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So that gives, uh, just so you have an idea, uh, typically a console is 16 uh, or 20 milliseconds, depending on NTSC or Paul, uh, frame, right? And every console or game uh, has a cycle where it Displays everything, reads the controllers, processes uh, the the next frame. Uh, that's where the controllers are pulled in from the console side or the game side, and then the cycle goes on again. Uh, what can you tell us about how uh, these cycles are aligned or unaligned depending on on the polling size or, or speed? Yeah. So um, yeah, for an NTSC game. It's uh, like you said, it's uh, 16 milliseconds per frame. So once a frame, usually the, the game pulls the controls. And uh, when you have a USB controller, then uh, that maybe is pulling, say, uh, every 10 milliseconds. Then the lag can vary from, uh, from about uh, zero milliseconds up to uh, 26 so you get a lot of jitter so you want to uh, so if you're using a, a USB controller you want uh, the polling speed to be as fast as possible to uh, to reduce the jitter mm -hmm. and what does this jitter cause? I'm sorry? So what, what's this, uh, what does jitter uh, 
does when when this happens i, I mean trying to explain to the public what happens yeah, <laughs> yeah so it uh, causes like um inconsistent input lag mm -hmm. so so you you cannot you don't know you cannot be even if you are really really consistent yourself when gaming like pressing the button at the same moment each time if if you have jitter with the controls then uh, perhaps uh, one press is missed or like uh, it happens the next frame and and the next press is like happens the frame before you meant it and so on yeah this uh, adds up so what's the you've been working on a database workshop uh, regarding regular uh, in the market stuff what are the ranges that you are seeing out there yeah that's a good question um as bad as like 30 to 40 milliseconds for you know i think the i want to say it's the wii u through bluetooth or maybe the switch i think it's the wii u has the has maybe the worst and then wired all the way down to 0.7 milliseconds uh the buffalo the iBuffalo, I think, is right at the top with like 0.69 milliseconds. This is off the top of my head. But in that top top group of probably the top five, uh, mixed Damon Byte stuff right up there, Boot Sector's Retropad, and then Boot Sector did the firmware for Mr. Cade. So it's all right under the one millisecond average, which if you think about it, a millisecond is such an insignificant amount of time. I mean, we can't even really perceive milliseconds, so pretty much zero. Not not technically, but in practice, pretty much zero. Yeah, it's a it's a term of, of perception, just as you said, and also about uh, things setting up. But technically, if you are one millisecond uh, uh, polling, or if you have that one thousand hertz uh, polling, you you're gonna fit into the frame. Certainly, ninety-nine percent. Well, I'm just pulling that number out of uh, of my head, but you're gonna be uh, in the exact frame where it's needed almost always, right? Yeah, it's in about nine, ninety to a hundred percent. I think it's like ninety-three percent is yeah, if you're if you're you. under a millisecond, you're you're that probability. And like Mick was saying, it's all probabilistic because you can't, most people can't, most players can't time frames. It's just about about where does your button press fall within the frame, and as long as your average is low and your, you know, standard deviation, basically your grouping is tight because it doesn't vary much from button press to button press. Then it's a very satisfying game experience that really, to me, makes it feel like I remember as a kid, as opposed to maybe some of the slower emulation that I've played in between there. Yeah, and this is possible, or or the difference with other systems is uh, is basically because the system is not doing anything else. This is dedicated to to this specific task. And talking about that, Troy asks if the why can't the USB adhere to the original console polling rate? Yeah, and, it, uh, it can't mm -hmm. at the moment. It can't, but uh, perhaps in the future, <laughs> like yeah, uh, if, to but the kernel. The Linux kernel would need to be modified for that mm -hmm. to kind of to synchronize the input polling, the USB polling with the game or like the core polling. Yeah, this is yeah, like a general solution. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead, please. Oh, no, workshop. oh in, my, in my opinion, that wouldn't really change anything because the 
the game's checking once a frame, but if the if the system is checking more often, mm-hmm. that is you know, and it's holding that that input ready for the system, then the result is the same. If you make the frame, you don't you do. If you don't, probably next frame, unless you're the Wii U controller, in which case it might be another frame after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's just like um, it it feels like it would be more authentic. I, I guess that's where where the question comes from. But in in practical terms, it could be even less precise, right? Yeah, there's. I mean, there's always a possibility. There's a, you know, sometime I'm gonna I'm gonna get some competition going. But there's an NES um, ROM called I think it's Mashy Mash, and it counts your button presses per second. Um, and when I was developing Mr. Cade, uh, I used it to see kind of what the performance was out of for the input encoder. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's pretty cool. It just you can set your time period, and then you just press the button as fast as you can. Um, so it's yeah, it's Mister's pretty good in that aspect. Yeah, I bet I bet it is. And uh, Mick, uh, what uh, what pushes you to make the selection of of controllers that you support on your on your devices? Um, well, I, I just want like uh, I want the experience to be as good as possible. And uh, mm-hmm. I try to make the best of it, like to to support as many controllers as possible, like that I, well, I try to do the best that I can. Just. Yeah, but what does it involve? That's that's probably what I meant. Because I every could. every controller is, is different and has different ways of being pulled and read. Right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, sorry, I misunderstood. No, but, no, no, I didn't explain myself properly, sorry. Uh, well, I, it's hard to really explain, but I try to visualize like something. If first I I use the like the what would I say like the normal method of interfacing the controller, or like using a, a simple technique to to see that it works, mm-hmm. and then I try to figure out different ways to uh, to improve like how can uh, i reduce latency here like if uh, if the code needs to wait can i do something else while it's waiting for example and so on it, it depends on the on the protocol of the controller and then yeah, just exactly. uh, try to find uh, like the the best solution how to do it and uh, i bet uh the issue of having the controller ports is, is, is a huge part of, of, of it, right? Like the parts. Yes, yeah. Uh, what's uh, kind of like the process that you follow for for creating this? Uh, chaos. <laughs> <laughs> That's no, good. I, I understand. But I try to... Um... When I, when I try to solve a problem, I, I try to make, like, I don't think about the whole, like, big problem or, like, uh, that I need to solve at once. I try to, like, break it up into pieces to see, like, uh, how can this small thing be improved? Like, what, what can I do to improve this, to remo- remove some CPU cycles from this instruction mm. or something? And... Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, but it's uh, but I, I start in a simple way, and then I I I think about ways to to make it better. Like, yeah, it's good. It's like uh, 
in software development, you, you first test it and then you improve it. And that's the proper way, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And uh, the chat is asking about the difference between a snack and LLAP. So what could you tell us about that? Do you want to take that workshop? Oh, sure. So you have, there are three kind of input options for Mr. right now. There's the USB, which Mick's done a really good job talking about and developing for. It's basically, you know, you can probably find a controller that you like that plays extremely well, and you're not going to get anything much better than that from any of the other solutions. So if you like an off-the-shelf USB controller, look up on the website I published that Lemonichi helped me with. Um, look up the latency. Done. Then Mix done a great job making use of original controllers. So mm -hmm. Super Nintendo Genesis using his Daemon Byte adapters, as well as other solutions. And he's basically running a USB human interface device, pulling the controller and then reporting that to Mister. So that's a great solution there. Extremely low latency. You have LLAPI, which is a protocol that was worked on just before one millisecond polling was around. And the idea with LLAPI is kind of like what the uh, comment in chat said, checking for inputs at the end of the frame. So just before the um, V blank of the next mm -hmm. frame, it checks for inputs and it only does this once per frame. The idea being it's, it's called just in time. Like it's just checking right before it needs to know. And the results on that are pretty good as well. Um, but it does require Fort cores because it was never part of the main repository. That's a different topic. And then snack is for all intents and purposes, absolutely zero latency. All the snack board is are level shifters because most of the old controllers are five volt logic. And Mr.'s FPGA, like most modern devices, the pins on it are only rated for 3.3 volts. So all Snack is doing is taking the 5-volt logic coming from the controller, shifting it down to 3.3 volts, and shoving it into um, directly into the FPGA core. So it bypasses the Linux layer, bypasses the USB pulling, and that's why you can get zero latency there. Yeah, only latency is from the software that's running in the core, not from the hardware, right? Yep, and to get to get your light gun latency working, uh, you have to be within a couple scan lines, which is in pretty much mm. in the you know few microseconds. So it's it's down there to the point where you can't really measure it easily, but it's it's pretty much zero. And you you mentioned Mistercade, which is an amazing project, and in it you had to deal with controller input as well because you have to uh, connect the control panel from an arcade or super gun or whatever to the mystery. Uh, what was like, what was it like? Um, so, I mean, I'm just glad there was eventually an arcade standard, which is JAMA to make a defined pinout because otherwise it would be absolute chaos forever. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a standard forever, but during the kind of bronze to golden era of gaming from the eighties to through the nineties, um, JAMA ruled and you could grab any PCB and Artemio, you're the expert here with, original arcade hardware, but grab any PCB and plug it into a, a JAMA cabinet and you're pretty much off to the races with few exceptions. So thankfully the pinout was defined. Um, I just had to choose a microcontroller. And like I said, I take no credit for that firmware boot sector of retro pad fame. Um, 
he did all the heavy lifting. I mean, we, we spent a lot of time in chat troubleshooting because he didn't have the hardware in front of him, but trying to figure yep. out which features you wanted to incorporate. So, And button bouncing. Yeah, debouncing. And then I, I tried to get some well-known arcade people to give me some feedback because, again, I, I actually loved the arcades as a kid. Uh, if I can take just a minute, we had a putt-putt, which was a mini-golf go-kart mm. arcade in Indianapolis, Indiana, which is where I was uh, growing up, kind of elementary school. And every Saturday, they had $5 Super Saturdays, and you got 50 tokens, like candy bar and a drink, and two go-kart races for 5 bucks. Wow. <laughs> and so, like I mean, a dream. my dad is a cheapskate, he would admit that. So, but even he would let me go to putt putt. So this was like Ninja Turtles, original Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat one and two, Puzzle Wobble, um, Terminator to the arcade game. This is that really like peak arcade era. Um, So that was my love for arcade stems back to that. Those were like some of the best memories I had of gaming as a child. I think a lot of people can relate to that particular memory that you just implanted in every one of us. I feel nostalgic for your experience right now. Yeah. That sounds great. And, uh, well, uh, have you ever found something like debouncing on console controllers, Mick? Um, well, if, uh, if the controller is bad, I would say there can be some bouncing, like uh, with the rubber being broken or something like this, but mm. usually there's no bouncing on, on the like the like console controllers but the, the... but there are yeah sorry no 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 please please yeah but the arcade control controls are really bouncy uh, what what can you tell us about what is bouncing and, and what causes it and how do you get around it yeah it's when you when you press an electrical switch it will uh, like um, there's usually some kind of um, spring in it or something that will make um, so when you press the button it will bounce so it it's uh, if you have a fast way of detecting the switch then you will detect the bouncing on and off so the switch is like uh, pressing really quickly several times before it uh, gets like pressed 100% and yeah, um, if, if I could add to that, it's just yes. it's like mechanical vibrations. So you have the spring, and you press the button down, and it comes back, and it'll it'll oscillate and hit a few times. So if you're checking for all that, it's going to register maybe three button presses versus one if you're pulling too fast. Yes, thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, um, yeah, no, sorry, please go ahead, me. And to fix this, you you need to uh, make some kind kind of um, logic either or like a, a hardware solution that removes this bouncing and it can be like it can be made in hardware or uh, in software what do you think is it is it easier or, or do you have any preference because doing it in software feels like second guessing i, I believe yeah it's um both work it depends uh, but to ha- have the least amount of input lag it's better to do mm-hmm. it in software because uh, when you do it in hardware there will be like a rise time of the switch like the the electrical signal so it will uh, introduce some lag even mm. if it's not much 
but then yeah. also with uh, software it's been a pro it's been somewhat problem problematic because the solutions the software solutions have been uh, like they have also added input lag and uh, many may, might ask why and it's because you have to have the event in the past to analyze it yes so so i did did it differently than with my arcade encoder so instead of uh, like testing what is happening with the switch is it like bouncing is this really a button press i i need to wait a little bit before like i'm this is the code <laughs> talking you know like mm -hmm. i need to wait a little bit before i know if this is a real button press or not and this will cause input lag so instead of this i i made the debounce logic in a way so instantly when the software like detects some a signal switch from on to off or off to on it will um, it will output that to the to usb and like it will uh, interpret it as a real button press and then after that it will wait for like 10 milliseconds or something before it lets the like signal change so this way there will be almost no added input lag even if you have a proper debounce logic yeah. it uh, it only adds like a, a couple of microseconds of input lag yeah because you're you're letting the first input go through and then you just discard the second misinterpretations in in such yes. scenarios yeah you ignore ignore the bouncing altogether and then mm -hmm. uh, then after like 10 milliseconds or something you let the like the input change again to like an off state because um a really fast button i i tried pressing a button an arcade button as <laughs> fast as i could and measured how long it took to like how long was the button pressed if i if I really just nudged it like really quickly mm -hmm. and it was I, I wasn't able to have it pressed less than uh, 30 milliseconds so yeah, reality is slower right yes I'm sure I, I'm sure someone else like faster can can do it faster but but then and I the, I use the 10 milliseconds as, as like and did yeah. the, you notice any difference between different brands of buttons yeah, they are different, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't say necessarily the expensive ones or like Sanva or Seimitsu are are better than others. Well, probably they are a bit, but but they all seem to bounce. I think at least the ones I've tried. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Porkchop probably has more experience in this. Um, no, I mean, similar to you, I, I think on that mashy mash thing, I was getting like 21 button presses in a, in one second period. So obviously you start off really fast and throughout the second, your, you know, your muscle kind of uh, gets worn down. But I opted for a software debounce um, with Mr. Kate. If, if you can visualize what, what a bounce looks like, it's a, it's a sinusoid that dampens. It's a damp sinusoid. Um, and so if you do hardware filtering, like Mick mentioned, you're basically putting a resistor and capacitor. You're figuring out the frequency you want to you want to do a low pass, and mm. that's going to create a rise rising slope, and it's going to take longer to get to your peak that's being detected. 
And so I opted for the software approach, kind of like what Mr. was saying, or what Mick was saying with Mr. Cade. Um, and so I, I have one Astro City cabinet. That's my original one I got to test Mr. Cade with. And I put all new controls in it. And throughout testing it, I've noticed that player one button one, the one that gets the most love, mm-hmm. has, has started to already get a little bit more bouncy than it used to be when I got it. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see, like, sometimes I'll be, I'll get some weird inputs when I'm trying to map a control. And then I realize, oh, these are 20 year old buttons, replace the button done. So yeah, these buttons do, you know, they're mechanical and they have a spring and contacts and, you know, so definitely the, the hardware does factor in the, the buttons do factor in, but I use kind of San Juan Simitsu interchangeably and they both seem pretty good. I kind of imagined, I'm not, I'm not throwing this to anybody in gen in, in particular, but having a test core for this kind of thing would be awesome. That tells you if your buttons are worn out in some way. I bet Jimmy Stones nice. could help us out since he just released that new uh, input test core, but yeah. I have plenty of, I, you know, I have suggestions for software for days. Just asking, I'm just not good at software. So, so also ignore <laughs> my suggestions. Yeah, it would be, I don't know, even for, for console uh, controllers, it would be amazing to know if, uh, if they're getting bad in some way. I, I love measuring stuff like that for, for an end user side. Yeah, that'd be great. Maybe have it say, press a button 10 times and see how many of those tenant registers or something like that. Mm-hmm. Some kind of just simple user feedback. Sounds yeah, great. That'd be interesting, I bet. And, uh, well, uh, can you tell us about uh, the products that you have uh, uh, at your site, uh, Mick? Yeah, well, I sell um, a few different of the Demon Byte adapters, like various versions. At the moment, they are all out of stock. (laughs) I was... um, I started getting like uh, burnt out from making mm. them so i had to take a small break so but yeah, but, but i, I have, have been you have super nintendo genesis nas snas different uh, kind amount of ports right near geo yes and uh, the newest add-ons are like uh, the four port ones and i'm i'm currently making now like printing cases for for those four port ones, so I will I will add them to my site any day now. Also, so basically, if you want to use any of those classic controllers on, on your Mister or a PC, right? Uh, these these adapters uh, are are a very good solution for that because you also offer the Control Arcade uh, USB controller and uh, all the variations that I did mention. Yes. And you mentioned now that you are printing the cases, right? Uh, how how big is 3D printing for you? Yeah, it's uh, it's like a revolution to be able to 3D print, but, but it's such a hassle. <laughs> I mean, they, the 3D printers require maintenance all the time, and like it's it's it can be quite frustrating, but still like a, a really good thing to be able to do it. But I would really. Uh, like to do it a div- like a different way. I'm looking into methods of uh, not having to use the 3D printer, actually. Yeah, so, I was I, I had this question about regarding 3D printing versus uh, molded plastic and and how difficult and the scale of that. Sorry. 
yeah the it's it's money like uh, an investment you have to do if you want to do injection molding but um, I'm, I'm sure it would be worth it it's and and what about you porchup yeah i uh like mick said man 3d printing is so great for prototyping like there is no replacement i guess you could like carve it out of clay or something if you're some kind of artist but from uh doing cad modeling to test fitting and prototyping there's no replacement for 3d printing um in fact i don't know if, how many people know but i used to sell 3d printed cases and i bought a 3d printer it was kind of a dud so i bought another one it worked great so i started running that 24 7 and i had uh I hired somebody to come over and just keep an eye on my printers while I was at work and taught them to solder. And at one point I had four printers running 24 seven, just printing cases. <laughs> but those cases, I mean, they take 12 to 15 hours to print. And if you get a clogged nozzle, there goes that. So it's like Mick said, they're, they're so great and it's hard for production. It's really hard to keep up with demand doing 3d printing, but you know, things are getting better and injection molding would be sweet. Just, you got to get the scale up because the molding costs a couple thousand. So yeah, that's my opinion. Yeah, and that's a, a lot of work. And uh, you you uh, mentioned also the the cases. You've been pushing a lot of, of stuff of projects out the door uh, this last few months, and uh, have been working on amazing stuff like the aluminum case, right? Yeah, that was actually, I started that, I want to say February of last year, I contacted a design company, just, I started with 3D printed cases, and then I got a laser cutter that mm -hmm. uh, I was doing acrylic cases, and a laser cutter caught fire and almost took out my house. So wow, really? <laughs> I, I wisely bought another one, and I just had to monitor it all the time. And so I'd sit out in my garage and sweat in the humid Maryland summers trying to laser cut cases, and that went well as you know as well but i just uh you know only have so much time so i tried to figure out a way to outsource the design and thankfully came and found a, a company that was able to i was able to send send the boards to and they came up with a prototype and i 3d printed it and got some feedback and then they sent me some prototypes and the rest is history now the second round is almost sold out i have some cases sitting off to the side to you know, fix orders of small defects and I'll list, I'll list them as I, you know, as I feel comfortable that the orders that are out there now are settled. But yeah, I, I have to rely on outsourcing just because I do have a day job and uh, I, I try to balance my time, but probably not very well. Yeah, we all, we all have issues with balancing time, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, re regarding the aluminum case, uh, it's, it's, it's not just the looks, right? There's another uh, more important factor there. Sure, yeah. The So the aluminum case, first of all, people like aluminum. Uh, I could have done powder coated, which may have been a little bit cheaper, but went with anodized because that seems to be the premium finish for electronics nowadays. And uh, my goal for the, the case was to make it passively cooled because I had seen lots of people, well, I guess to back up a little bit, the IO board comes with a cooling fan on it. It can be run at 3.3 volts or 5 volts. And the one that I sell is just kind of a basic 5-volt fan run at 3.3 volts. Well, I didn't realize how big of a topic fan noise is, but it's a huge topic. <laughs> so for a while, I was buying Noctua fans retail on Amazon and putting those on the boards 
but that was extra time I had to spend taking old fans off, putting new ones on. Um, then I figured out I could buy them directly from Noctua. I think Greg from Laser Bear gave me that hint. So I was, I was ordering them direct from Noctua. And I was in talks with Noctua of making a Mr. Fan that would have the correct cabling and only mm-hmm. have two-inch long fan cable. And I was about to do that. And then I kind of jumped on the, the aluminum case design. So the, the design is there's a thermal pad that sits on top of the Cyclone 5 FPGA. And then there's this little L-shaped bracket that comes down and connects to the top of the case. And that provides your passive cooling. And that channels basically sits into channels with the, the bottom U-shaped part of the case and altogether cools the FPGA. And uh, yeah, it does a pretty good job. I haven't, I haven't heard of any heat-related complaints from my first round. So I, I think it's adequate that the FPGA on Mr. is rated for pretty high temperatures, like 80 to 100 degrees C. And my case measurements put, put it at like, you know, 40 tops. Of course, the FPGA does not have an internal thermocouple. So there's no way to get a software reading. So all of, all of the readings I've done were just external. And then I did stability testing with the Doom AO46 and the mem test cores leaving them on for long periods of time but it seems like it's adequate for mister at least all of the the ones i've sold are doing a good job so far also you you posted the thermal pictures of it It, it's not just like anecdotal or or from performance you also measured it directly right yeah i I had a little FLIR uh FLIR gun forward looking infrared is what FLIR stands for and i just recently got one of these little uh smartphone FLIR 1 devices that mm-hmm. uh, takes an image with your phone's camera as well as with a thermal camera at the same time. And that's that's much better. So if anyone's looking for a cheap FLIR, check out the mobile, uh, the, the phone hardware accessories because they're pretty cool. It's such a fun toy to have around, right? A, a thermal camera. You learn so much about uh, thermodynamics. Yep, and also useful for troubleshooting hardware if you have a yeah. short somewhere. You'll be able to see it. Of course, uh, Lewis Rossman, who's famous for MacBook repairs online, uh, he he still prefers just putting some isopropyl alcohol mm-hmm. uh, on the board, dousing the board, and seeing where it dries up fastest to find shorts. But lots of different tricks to to, to troubleshoot original hardware. Yeah, I prefer the the thermal camera, but but just because I have it, and and I'm not as good as Lewis, not even in the same. <laughs> in 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 different completely different leagues <laughs> when i repurse that makes two of us yeah that makes two of us and you are way better than i am <laughs> <laughs> well just soldering is all about flux temperature um low pressure right equipment mm-hmm. and some patience it's not and too hard just uh, ventilation safety then yes ventilation of course yep yeah but it's 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 real really Interesting. I, I'm, I'm not good at, at, at it, but I can handle an iron at least. And um, how about I was going to ask you guys, uh, how about the pandemic and how has it affected in terms of e-commerce and imports and exports, Mick? Yeah, it's been a challenge, I must say. And uh, since um, I live in Finland also, and it's uh, not near a big city or something so it's um it's been slow like to get parts and to then also to send send stuff out 
I think the record for sending something when it was at the worst, it took four months to arrive wow. in USA. Like, um, has it improved? I mean, the, in general for you uh, and, and getting the stuff to, to your place? Yes, it has improved a lot now. Good. It's faster to get parts and also um, shipping is faster from here. Even if it's not like normal, but still much better. Did you have issues with the uh, stuff getting out of stock for you? The, the parts that were difficult to source? Well, now they, they have like gone out of stock quite, uh, uh, quite a lot of parts. Or like when I, I was designing some new versions and uh, especially the, like uh, some other CPUs are out of stock now or li like really expensive to get so. That's a problem, and I hope it will be back to normal sooner rather than later. And what about you, Porkchop? Yeah, the beginning of the pandemic was pretty hard. I, I, you know, I started hand soldering everything, and then I hired someone to solder for me and trained them. But the demand for Mister is pretty great, and so I ended up uh, a good friend in the retro gaming community shared his contact with me for his PCB assembly. Um, factory and so that that factory is in China and unfortunately got shut down for a good period of time so mm. part of success in running a retro parts store is maintaining stock but not overstocking and during that time where the factory was shut down I was at that solder bench 13 hours some days soldering SD RAM trying to maintain sanity just to keep up so it was hard but um, a couple months into the pandemic they kind of got back on their feet and I was able to thankfully keep up with supply, but there are other things like we talked about uh, the trade war a little bit between the U.S. and China and those import mm -hmm. fees hitting um, that has impacted. And otherwise, I've been able to, uh, well, like Mick mentioned, the the cost of microchips right now, microcontrollers is insane. So for Mister Kate, I ended up having to to figure out a solution there to get enough microcontrollers because they're just. Yeah, they went from two bucks to fifteen bucks a piece, and that that kind of kills your uh, kills your your margin there when you're planning on a certain price. So, yeah. I've had to adapt, flexible, but that's yeah, that's the name of the game. That's the risk of doing a small business. Yeah, it's it's been really hard this this times. And uh, on that topic, do you do for for people listening? Do you in, do international shipping to any country in the world? Um, I do yes. When I lived in Maryland, I moved here. I moved from Maryland to Idaho in February. When I did, when I lived in Maryland, I did DHL, and it was, in my opinion, great. But my experience with shipping is, every single person you ask will have a horror story about DHL, UPS, FedEx, USPS. It doesn't matter. Uh, so I offer multiple shipping options. Right now, I'm using UPS for international. Hmm. And what about you, Mick? Yeah, I ship. I ship internationally also, and uh, I'm using the like. There's, I I really have no options to ship from here other than the like the state-owned uh, shipping company like postal service. So and does that does that postal service offer the equivalent for EMS or it's just regular mail with signature or? Yeah, it's like. Uh, Air, it's called air mail or something, so it's shipped by air. But uh, to get like um, a signature, 
is more expensive or, or to get expedited expedited mm. shipping is more expensive also and but if it, somebody it, if somebody it, requires that would you be able to provide that by any means or how would they contact you i would uh, like uh, but not through my shop at the moment because mm -hmm. it's uh, yeah it, it's a hassle and uh, the reason is is the the clerks here at the like parcel service like the offices they they really don't know how to do it so mm. i have to explain it always how how they should do it and it takes a lot of time and also i've seen that that option is actually less reliable than sending it like uh, without tracking wow. it's amazing uh, and uh, but even sending without tracking has been really reliable actually like uh, there's not many packages lost i would say and if if a package is lost then i i always uh, like refund the total amount mm. it's great to hear any experience with south america and uh, obviously you're talking about canada and the us mainly i guess and europe but uh south america and uh asia yes it's um, it has worked so far even if i i haven't had too many customers from south america or asia mm. but but yeah I, it has worked for the most part here's uh, one question for you mick uh his uh, mortal floater says i have an idea for a demon bite item board can i just make that i don't want to violate some license or something or a demon bite sorry Oh, he says, I have an idea for a Demon Bite Atom board. Can I just make that? I don't want to violate some license or something. I'm new to making stuff, so that means I can't sell it, correct? Yeah, the, the Demon Bite uh, adapters are open source. So, um, so they are. you can modify the code freely. Good, so there you have it. If, if Now, if the audience has any questions, please uh, just... Uh, send them to the chat and we'll uh, we'll make our best effort to answer them meanwhile uh can you tell us a bit about the sackless hdmi cables pork chip yeah so um i kind of noticed myself uh, i got a i got a projector and noticed that mister was interfering with it and had heard others uh sorry when i say interfering with the cec which is a protocol that electronics devices can use to pass uh, commands to each other. In other words, I can use my uh, set-top box remote to control the volume on the TV. When I power on the set-top box, it turns on the TV, uh, you know, things like that. Um, that Mr. interferes with it because of the way that it, its HDMI port has that CEC pin grounded, which kind of disrupts everything else connected via HDMI. So I was thinking about just making a little PCB adapter and I made one and it seemed to work. And I, I put a couple jumpers on there so I could open or close different pins and found out that pretty much if I open the CEC pin, meaning leave it floating on the cable on one end, then the rest of the CEC uh, devices on hooked up to my you know receiver, my display, that they were pretty happy. So I went ahead and found a company who could just professionally make those cables with just that one pin uh, disconnected and um, they seem very responsive. And so, yeah, 
it's been a good fit. Yeah, so it, it's basically for those experiencing issues with the, what kind of issues would they expect to have? So the like, for example, I, I use Apple TV. Uh, I am an unabashed Apple fan. I'm not perfect, but overall I use a lot of their products. And I can normally um, wake up my projector and receiver with my Apple TV remote by pressing the main menu button. With Mr. Connected, sometimes what I get is everything would turn on. Sometimes my receiver wouldn't turn on, but my projector would. So the beauty of CEC is that you can, in theory, use one remote to control all of your audio video equipment in a setup. And with Mr., it was just sporadic, meaning, yeah, sometimes it would work, sometimes it wouldn't. Sometimes nothing would work. And so you're having to get out all of your remotes every time, which kind of defeats the point of CEC. Okay. Uh, Mick, uh, Cigarette asks us, is it allowed to make original hardware and sell them and including Demon Byte firmware and the hardware? Yeah, the code is uh, GPL 3.0. So, so you are allowed to, to use, like to make, to use it and use it commercially also. Uh, you only it, have to to abide to the license and release any modifications and and link. Yes, to the and it, yes, any modification to the code needs to be also like made public if you do it. And um, yeah, so I don't know what to add. <laughs> so it's yeah, I'm just uh, asking people not to like sell something using Demon Byte as it's like uh, my business name here in Finland I know it's uh, maybe yeah to to name something demon byte compatible is a preferred method I think mm. so there you go radbot <laughs> and uh, the Matt uh, Hargit says uh, the DualShock 3 4 and DualSense are notable for having very low latency the S3 TTP being 23 less than 23 milliseconds the s4 being in less than 20 uh, 18 milliseconds when paired with the same console do you think mr support for those controllers will ever approach their native latency wired or wireless i'll take this one uh i was recently told that uh one we saw today the driver for playstation controllers was just updated and then it was mm -hmm. tweaked additionally for mr and so I just ordered a DualSense 5 controller because I didn't own one. And we'll do my best. I have a, I have a pile of controllers waiting to be latency tested. Uh, I kind of got burned out spending several days in a row testing all day. And it's, it's pretty involved to test. Um, and the 8-bit DOE controllers in particular burn me out because they have several different compatibility modes, wired mm. and wireless. So one controller can result in eight tests. Um, so Anyways, yeah, the, the supposedly the latency should be better now on all of the Sony controllers with Mister, but I have not had a time had time to check it out. Maybe in a few weeks. So uh, we'll have a question for Porkchop says: Are controller latency tests for the chart still ongoing? If so, is there a place that people can send their devices to be tested for addition to the chart in the future? Yeah, sure. I, I was taking some, um, I was accepting people sending controllers before I moved. Um, it's probably up until October or, or November of last year when I started putting my house on the market and, you know, going through the rigor moral of, of moving. But since 
settling here. I have a new PO box. I just have had zero time to test controllers. I will take submissions because there are some notable ones that I would like. In fact, somebody's sending me the Astro City Mini USB mm. controller. Um, but other than that one, um, I just, yeah, I, I've actually had more submissions from people uh, just sending me the results of their latency testing, which is beautiful. I mean, I, I would love for everyone to do their own latency testing, but I also understand that not everyone feels comfortable soldering to the button contacts or to a mm -hmm. microcontroller or something. So. Uh, yes, short answer is I, I will be accepting submissions probably uh, once my life settles down a little bit. And uh, now that you slightly described the method, what does it imply for anybody interested to, to do this? What software, what hardware, what's the process? Sure. So you need a microcontroller. Um, I've been using the Arduino micros just like Mick um, was use, is using for his Demon Byte project. And you need a microcontroller, you need to open up your controller and wire buttons to it, and you need a custom core. It's, an, it's based off the NES core, um, but all of it, there's a tab in the, the big spreadsheet for instructions that has links to the pastebin Arduino code. It has links to the RBF um, that they can download, the core, NES core that they can download. And you basically, you map your controller via USB, and then you, um, open up the NES core and you hook up the Arduino to the solder points on the controller and the Arduino goes out to the user port. The controller plugs into the USB port and you can run, then you can basically run um, uh, a terminal window to actually see the results once the, once the script starts. So um, it is a little bit more involved than most people want, but it's, yeah, it's the database is. I feel pretty comfortable with the number of results in the database now to to feel like it. It's covered most non-obscure controllers. Yeah, it's it's invaluable for the community since it it works everywhere. I mean, you can use those results for any other place, but uh, it's especially important for Mister because people that use it are are more interested in this technical part and and the aspect of latency, right? Yeah, for sure. And I was I was hoping it the the chart would spur on some of the manufacturers, at least, you know, eight bit dough and um uh retrobit. And retrobit actually responded to one of my earlier things saying, huh, our results are much lower than what you're measuring. But wow. you know, to keep I actually don't have many of the controllers on hand. I mean I have the ones I like, but a lot of them are user submissions. So if there is a firmware update, I'm you know, it's a harder sell for me to want to update the firmware and redo the whole process. Mm -hmm. That's why, you know, I'm happy to help people get started with their, with their own testing. And that would be great if it could grow into a, even more of a community effort. Yeah. Crowdsourcing is the best approach here. Yeah. Yeah. Porchop can use someone else helping to test, of course. Always. Yeah. It's Lemonichi's a lot of work. Actually, he's, he, uh, you know, I've been using the summarized results because the, the Arduino script outputs your average latency, your min, your max, and your standard deviation. But Limonichi, being a data scientist type, wants to get the raw results so we can actually see the distribution on controllers. So the next mm. test that I do, we're going to work on. Uh, actually, you know, the way um, I'm trying to remember the other guy that does all the the controller testing for like the arcade fight community. Uh, uh, names escaping, but yeah, he actually outputs the, the histogram of your your results, and you can kind of see how tight how tight that average grouping is. Is it really spread out? 
is it really concise so that's some improvements there that's awesome also uh maybe maybe a wiki would be good to to archive those results as well yeah for I don't sure know. i it so it's, everyone knows software is not my forte so if anybody wants to take the spreadsheet and uh you know lemonichi helped me um get it on our pubs he he's he does a lot of stuff in r um, which is kind of a oh. Mm -hmm. MATLAB-esque data uh, program, but um, if anybody wants to help with a wiki or anything else, let me know. I, I have less knowledge of uh, running those kinds of things and would be happy to collaborate with somebody. If uh, somebody, if I'm not saying that you should do it there, but there's the Upscaler wiki, the classic Upscaler wiki that I run, and we've okay. been pushing anything wiki related to retro consoles and whatever there. If that okay. helps and somebody wants to yeah. go there, it's there. Okay, thank you. Okay, so uh, another question that we have. Uh, now that you both know so much about controllers, do you have any plans to make original controllers or arcade sticks and controls? Nick, you want to take that one? Yeah, okay. Well, actually, uh, I would be really interested in making something. Uh, and uh, I have been like chatting with Porkchop about this also, like uh, casually to maybe it would be some kind of dream project to do. Mm. But yes, it would be really a lot of fun to make something like a, a dream gamepad, like controller for Mr. That would be nice. <laughs> Unfortunately, says, in, in mm. this scenario, uh you know, mix all the brains and I'm just the cheerleader. So I, I'm happy to, to help with production. He's, he's a genius there. So I would be happy to collaborate with him. Yeah, there's a lot of sentiments here. Uh, Waldro says that six uniforms, nest style buttons in front with a Saturn D pad, nice ergonomic shape. I, I bet there's a huge wish list uh, of, of favorites. Uh, speaking about that, do you have any favorite controller in, in general terms? or a favorite D-pad or a button layout for, from your personal perspective, not saying for this project. Yeah, I, I like that idea. Um, in fact, yeah, Mordecai is a great, he's a great uh, person to have in the community. And um, when I was making my Mr. Portable, not that I've totally discontinued that, just haven't focused on it. That was the goal. And I, I have a 3D model two-piece Saturn D-pad that I printed out on my resin printer and the tolerance on things for 3D modeling when you have pieces that fit together is just really tough. And I've, I've not mastered the, the resin style 3D print, but um, I like that idea. In fact, I just got a Hori Fighting Commander Pro uh, controller, which is a Super Nintendo D-pad and six Super Nintendo buttons for the, uh, I think the Wii, like the Wii classic style controller thing. So I'm gonna, See how I like that, but uh, what about you, Mick? Yeah, I really like the 8-bit though M30 controller actually, and the D-pad on that one is I don't know if it, is it like a model from the Saturn D-pad or? Uh, I believe it's uh, M30 is the Sega Genesis one. No, I love that one. It, the uses, it uses pretty much the Saturn style D-pad from what ah, I can okay. tell. Okay. My only complaint about the M30, because I love it, I absolutely love it. I hate that X, Y, and Z on Sega controllers are always smaller or different shape. Oh, yeah. 
but yeah, you also yeah. run into problems if you make them full size because everything gets so crowded. So I don't have any great solutions, but I agree. Six full size buttons and a Saturn D pad would be awesome. Yep. And, and I, I do we're... have another, I have lots yes. of other side projects in the work, but I do have another controller related thing. Uh, just I'm dreaming up and sketching, but uh, it's, it's not a traditional controller. It would be something more uh, arcade oriented, but no, no real concrete plans enough to announce anything yet. Nice. Uh, Belricat asks us, my question to Mick is, if he's planning to make an adapter for the Wii remote controller port, I like a lot the Wii Classic Pro's controllers for retro games, and it would be good or great to use with Mr. Yes, I have been planning to do that, but I haven't found the time yet for it, so, so hopefully I, can, I will be able to do it sometime in the near future. <laughs> Make time. you have a Patreon of any sort? The problem is I, uh, the Finnish law is, does not really allow Patreon. So, oh. well, well in, uh, maybe in, if you hack something up, you can do it. But yeah. Bummer. A, I'm sure lots of people would love to support you and maybe even, uh, I don't know, some people don't like Patreon because they feel beholden to it, but... Uh, for, you know, the paper release thing, I'm sure people would love to support any development by some of your time, as it were. Yes, um, I'm sure. And uh, it's been a bit problematic because that, that's, I would really like to uh, focus my, my time on developing new stuff that people can use instead of uh, yeah, having to finance, uh, finance the projects in other ways. Yeah, maybe we can collaborate there and, and help free up some of your time if that works out. That would be great. <laughs> Trevi Kramer uh, mentions that he has some way to, to donate to Finnish translator he knows. So maybe there are some other ways as, as, as the ones that uh, Porkchop mentioned. That would, be, that would be good. Yes. And uh, if you guys have any more questions, please post them in the, in the chat. We'll be uh, reading them. Meanwhile, um, what do you, uh, you, you sell pre-configured bundles, uh, ProChop, and uh, what, uh, what I'm going to, to ask is, there are several different profiles for users out there, and uh, the pre-configured bundles are, are targeted for those. Can you describe what these are and what, uh, what the people's or user profile are for those? Sure. Um, are you talking about like the different I/O board hardware configurations yeah, that you can get with the bundle? Sure. Exactly. What so, what they need, what the, those mean, uh, yep. what to expect, and what people need, right? Yep. So the the heart of the prod, the heart of the Mister, of course, is the DE10 Nano. Um, much to people's chagrin, it doesn't have a full size USB port on it. It has a USB on the go port, which is a micro USB port. So that results in the need of having some kind of USB hub or at least a single uh, full-size USB to micro USB adapter. The problem with with not having a hub of any sort is you can never really map your controls easily. Uh, there are workarounds, but you need some kind of USB hub is my point. And I support the official um, USB hub designed by Sorge. Um, that's, I sell that. That's kind of the, the, the bread and butter for most people. On top of that, most cores require SDRAM or at least benefit from SDRAM as the timing on it is closer to the original hardware and 
so SDRAM is is pretty much a requirement, and then I/O board is the thing that goes on top. It it does a few things actually. Um, for one, it gives you um, system buttons and status LEDs that lets you uh, you know know what the power is on. It has a disk LED, some stuff like that. Then it has a cooling fan, and it has a depending on the the style. Both of them have a user port, which is simply breaking out um, seven different FPGA um, I/O pins to a USB three port, and that's where your MT32s, uh, your MT32 Pi, which is a great project we haven't talked about, your mm -hmm. Snack, um, and your Blister um, LL API things connect to get. Uh, basically to bypass the Linux part. But to get to your, the main question is digital versus standard. I have a chart on my site and the basic gist is if you never ever think you're going to do analog video or if you want analog video but you never want dual analog or dual analog and digital video simultaneously, then I would do the digital I.O. board because it frees up one of the two pin headers. So you can have dual SD RAM etc now currently none of the cores use dual sd ram that may change in the future so for that reason i recommend digital to people who don't care about analog or don't care about dual video output and then analog is for the standard i call it standard but with the one with the vga port on it i would recommend to everyone who cares about dual video output so if you're a streamer and you want to capture on one and play on the other um, that's a great option uh, and that that's I sell probably 80% standard and 20% digital. Yeah. And uh, now you mentioned exactly the MT32 Pi project. We had a, a, a program based on the, around uh, what MT32 Pi uh, does. You can listen to it here on the channel. But what can you tell us about this and what do you need to, to connect one? So for that, uh, Mick, did you want to talk about, I mean, you're, you're a MIDI person. So do you want to talk about that? Mm -hmm. No, I'm not really familiar with the with the Pi okay. version. So no, you you, you have the the MIDI uh, in in your site. You have the MIDI software, right? The boutique MIDI converter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I can take the MT32. So this is something. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I I had into every intent to support the the MT32 hardware when it came out. In fact, I helped make a prototype board for it, and then you know it came out right in the middle of my big move and I just, I haven't yet, but uh, MT32 Pi is a project that Dopefish has where he wrote a, that's the M, the Roland MT32 is a, is a MIDI box that was very, very popular for PC gaming, music, etc. He wrote a low level kernel for it on the Raspberry Pi. So it does very fast emulation um, of the MIDI protocol and emulates different, you can, you can load different sound fonts, meaning different uh, note packages, basically, tone packages. And you hook up your Pi to a little board, and you hook up that board to the user I.O. port of the I.O. board, and then cores that support it, mostly computer cores, um, they can use that basically MIDI feedback from the Raspberry Pi as if it was a MIDI, uh, external MIDI box. And, and so also cool. the... Uh, an audio mixer, right? Because it sends the audio so that it's mixed with the MT31, the, the MT32, right? That's right. So, so like I said, I haven't, I, I, I'm not a computer core person. In other words, I love them and appreciate them. I just don't know as much about them. 
but it looks like there are some advanced features too. And I, I've been talking with Dopefish just to show support and get some feedback on ideas I have. So I'm working on some MT32 stuff, but I'm going to try to add a little bit uh, different flair to it than what um, what the standard thing is. So I guess more to come on that in the next few weeks or months. And now that you mention it, uh, while the audience shoots some more questions, I wanted to touch on the subject of uh, you guys creating community and uh, being uh, trying to reach out to people, bring them in and uh, pamper them into the community. And I really admire that and thank you for that. Uh, what, uh, what's the value that you see in doing that? Well, I think, um, I think there are a lot of really smart people out there. In fact, I look at the audience here and there are people who know way more about me, way more than me about almost every you know, subject I'm interested in from you know, hardware developers to software people to people with lots of gameplay experience and knowledge. And I think as the Mr. Community grows, hopefully in a positive direction, you just bring in all this outside knowledge and the contributions just roll in. So, um, you know, there is some, it's not without its downsides. In other words, if you get a lot of very casual people flowing in, you know, the help channel, or you might have, you know, be doing a lot of troubleshooting, a lot of that I try to take care of um, on my site. But the, there are so many people who love retro games and who are very knowledgeable that could make the project even better. Yeah, I fully agree. It's, uh, it, it's been really interesting to, to see how this community has grown and, and all the people that are, as just as you mentioned, so knowledgeable about many things uh, that teach us every day about more stuff. Because people think that uh, retro stuff is... Uh, completely sold, right, in, in many ways. But there's so much to investigate, preserve, document, and uh, just uh, plainly improve upon, right? Yeah, I agree. I mean, even the work Mick is doing, people love original controller. There's, the, there's a big schism kind of between digital, like LCD or OLED technology and CRTs, and it's just a never-ending debate. Well, for a long time before we had the latency tests, the same thing about controllers. It was nonstop original controllers versus modern. And so Mick is very much satiating, um, along with Boot Sector, that need of, I want to use my original Genesis controller on Mr. And I don't want extra latency. Yeah, yes, I agree. Mm -hmm. Original mm -hmm. controllers are really nice because it gives uh, the more like the proper experience. Like it's the controllers are such a big, big uh, thing, like a big thing of the gaming experience. So, so being able to use the correct controllers is great. It's a, a tangible experience, at, right? Yeah, yes, I think so. And we're we're at the um, we're at the very bottom of the latency of what it can be. If you think about one millisecond polling, if you average out any large number of poles. And if there is zero added latency from Mr. or the controller, your average would be 0 0.5 milliseconds. And we're at 0 0.7 milliseconds. And the Mr. itself, the Linux kernel probably has, in my estimation, 0.2 milliseconds. So I don't think there's any more performance we can really squeeze out of these adapters. They're pretty much rock bottom, as, as good as it's ever gonna get. Yes, indeed. It's possible to, like, we are talking like microseconds almost now to mm -hmm. improvement. Yeah. 
And uh, Matt Hargret asks us, uh, I don't know if we if we have a, a, an answer to this, are there any opportunities for deep color or HDR support over the existing HDMI controller, the former being used over HDMI 1.3 and later being shown to work over HDMI 1.4b on original PS4? I believe that uh, this, the, the, the Jurassic board has... Uh, the specification does have the the spec for HDMI in it, right? I can't recall what it was, but I, I searched for it once. I don't know that exact answer. I know that a lot of it has to do with the pixel clock and the more depth you do, um, you know, that that affects it. But I'm I'm no expert there, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say whether it is or is not possible. It would yeah, be nice neither though. am I. Same here. And uh uh, Matt Hagrid uh, asks us, uh, are there any features from the analog products that aren't in Mystery yet that they'd personally like to see come to Mystery? Um, people really like native controllers. And so the one thing about Snack that's kind of a hindrance, uh, first of all, the hindrance to Snack is that USB controllers and USB adapters like Demon Byte are so good that for gameplay, it's not noticeable. But... Um, the problem with Snack is because it bypasses the Linux portion, the ARM portion of the FPGA, you can't control the menu system using a Snack controller. So you always have to have some other controller or keyboard to navigate to load your game. And then once you're in-game, you can play using the Snack controller. That's one of those things that's continuously requested for. But when you think about it, you'd have to decode the original protocol, kind of like Demon Byte's doing in the mm -hmm. FPGA core, pass it back over to the ARM Linux side to then pass it back. It, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty much concisely been said, this is not going to happen and move on kind of thing. But that's something that people really want or would like to have. I'm uh, actually, for the MSTR case, I have been working on uh, like a combination of USB and Snack. So, mm. so the adapter could um, like on the fly, or you do a button combination to switch between snack and USB. Wow, so, that'd be nice. <laughs> but uh, it's working progress. So, I have it. I have it working one way to to switch from USB to snack mode, but to switch then back from snack mode to USB is much more involved because. Then you need to analyze the analyze the signals that comes from Mister and is sent to the yeah to the controller. So so it's more difficult. Yes, it is. And uh, just as we've mentioned, uh, if uh, regarding the the input lag and everything, it's uh, basically a baseline for human perception, right? Uh, if you use USB and Snack, is 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 more like uh, how, how can I put it? People want the best. Is is something that always happens that when when people know that something is in some way the best is it doesn't mean that it's the best for every case or that the second best in terms of something technical is not perfect in terms of perception. And maybe that's what's happening with with snack in this regard, right? Yeah, people people seem to like snack, and you know, I I still sell some, um, but it is for the. I mean, Mister is already kind of a for the purist segment. I mm -hmm. say purist, and I understand the cores aren't perfect, but it's the enthusiast retro gamers, and then there's a segment of that community who also wants 
original controls. And so it's kind of a subgroup of a subgroup of gaming, but the demand is there. And thankfully snack exists for those people. And there's, license, there's some other interesting, yeah, there's some other interesting snack development um, that I've been looking at, but again, too early to say anything. Yeah, and uh, well, Sentient mentions uh, light guns, and that's that's also a, uh, a fact, right? Snack for light guns is, is a necessity. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty much the probably the number one use. If I had to guess, I don't actually know how customers are using or how mystery users are using snack, but light guns you can't you can't easily do light guns without snack. And the first time I played Duck Hunt on my Astro City candy cabinet, the mm. orientation and the position of that screen is the most comfortable way. I've ever played a light gun game. So I definitely see the appeal. Yeah, I remember your your tweet regarding that. Yeah, it, it looked amazing because you posted a picture, right? Or a video, I don't recall. Yeah, I think it was a video. So yeah, much has so happened too. since then, it's hard to remember. Yeah, and, and, and probably it was just like three weeks ago. I don't know, but it feels like forever in the pandemic. <laughs> it was definitely in Maryland. So it was last year sometime, I think. Okay, so well, my memory is even more <laughs> juggled than I thought. Yeah. And uh, the, we have a question. Does Porkchop plan on going to conventions and such? Or anyone else, really? I'd love to see Mr. At, at more cons. Nick, are you going to any conventions? Um, not now. Not anything planned, no. I wouldn't say. Pandemic doesn't help right now. <laughs> no. I kind of enjoy that people think I look like Kurt Russell. So I, I'd hate to spoil that by actually going to a convention. Although I have, I was planning on going to Long Island Retro Gaming. Uh, I don't know if that was 2019. I think it was 2019. Uh, I was hoping to go, but I don't know. There's something, there's something about anonymity that's nice. You know, you can't really buy that back once, once that's out. Yeah, I just like Shane Lynch mentions, going Kurt Russell's cosplay. I always, always imagined you as, as Kurt Russell anyway. I'll take it. <laughs> so uh regarding the the conventions they do have uh several advantages because it helps also to create a community knowing people personally it's it's quite different from just chatting online i'm certain that would help but just as we mentioned the the pandemic is not helping here that is true so, uh, how about future projects that you can talk about? Is there anything uh, that you can tell us? Nick, do you want to talk about your Mister case, or is that is that premature? Yeah, I can uh, I can say something about the MSTR case, the Mister case that I've been <laughs> working uh, on with uh, AkiShop, and um, well, it's a big project, so it takes a lot of time. We have tried to do do it thoroughly to make like the best kind of version of, of what what is available now to have a better audio out and uh, make the snack USB combination with four four um, like uh, controller adapters that can be switched like cartridges mm. and uh, and also yeah some other improvements to the PCBs but but it's a lot of work, so hopefully we can have something more concrete to show sometime yeah, soon. Because uh, you have a lot of edges to, to round up there, literally and, and figuratively. Yes. It's, uh, UX uh, is, is, is hard to deal with. Yes. 
Yeah, so, it's, it's a slow process to design hardware just because you're you find you absolutely lock down the PCB form factor, then you have to build a case around that, and all of that. Those are independent things that work, rely on each other. So you have to, you know, the development in one delays the development in the other, and then you have to find people to make all this stuff. It's it's definitely uh, for a, a one or two person team. It's a lot of work, but it's very satisfying to know. Hey, I designed this, and this is the way it turned out. Yeah. I can't even imagine how hard that is. It, with software, we have it so easy in so many ways. <laughs> and, uh, just uh, from my my perspective, I'm working on an updated I/O board um, that has an I2S DAC on it. Same one I'm using in Mister Cade. Wow, uh, that's people's main main complaint about the analog I/O mm-hmm. board is the audio could be better. So, I think my prototypes uh, come tomorrow from JLC PCB and also looking at getting the RGB levels closer to spec because they're either a little bit too dark or a little bit too bright, depending on which network resistor value you're mm-hmm. using for the, uh, for the digital to analog R2R DAC. So I, I pick some other values that I'm going to see how it turns out, but some things like that, some adding some ESD protection to the, FPGA pins and same with USB hub, adding ESD protection and some other things to the USB hub. But I'll I'll happily announce it uh, if it all works out. That sounds amazing because it, precisely I, I had several questions about the analog out in, in my my show on Fridays, and uh, if I recommended it. And obviously the the main idea with the with the analog out and the current design of the I/O board is just it's a, a convenience, right? Because people should use uh, HDMI in most scenarios, yep. uh, and and in, if if it helps out, I did make some software called MD MD Fourier that could help you determine uh, the performance of any uh, DAC such as this. Yeah, I'll happily uh, help or ask for help or provide you hardware or whatever whatever it takes. No, uh, I, no course, hardware I is, is of- needed, but. Yeah, I know yeah, all but I, can, can help. <laughs> I can help out with anything in, in that regard. Uh, Great. Well, so. if you have a Mr. Kate, it's the same circuit, so we could probably yeah, do I that. do have it. Yeah, I have it. I have it. I have cool. it run MD Fourier through it, but uh, we can check it out, and I can tell you, it's it's amazing. Okay. <laughs> the Mr. Kate works really, really great. Yeah, the one thing I'd love to see, but it's you know, this is another somewhat. Uh, interesting question is people say i hear the uh, the analog video out of mr is garbage unless mm. you're using direct video because you're on six bit R- or 20 sorry 18 bit rgb versus 24 in other words you get six bit per color six bits mm-hmm. for red green and blue the original and this has come up several times but just to recap the original hardware most of these systems was six bit or less now there's some advantage to having more color depth than you're using of course people always bring up well filters can use them etc which is fine but uh amiga in a special color mode and the main menu core are the only cores to my knowledge that can use 8-bit but that might change with playstation and saturn the problem with using 8-bit rgb is you would need to steal all of the io from the secondary sd card which i'm totally happy with but some cores I think the ZX Spectrum Next only has support using that secondary SD slot. So time will tell which one wins out. <laughs> Shane links uh, 
Lynch says, throw secondary SD card into the ocean. Uh, I wish. Yeah. yeah, but there's... <laughs> It's 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 uh, it's really hard to just break stuff. Uh, it has to be a coordinated effect, but uh, but it's not easy, right? Yeah, and Shane's a great developer, so he knows. But Mister runs has uh, all the GPIO for the FPGA are predefined, and in each core that Mister supports mm -hmm. has a lot of that in integrated into the sys portion. So to change uh, input or output on it, you which is why I'll uh, low-level API is still a fork because every core that supports it has to have it built into this. So it's not a small change. You basically have to modify every core. So it's easier if you can just get the feature request accepted than it is to maintain some fork of something for some portion of users. Indeed. And you did mention the 8-bit and 16-bit 16 uh, 16, uh, RGB DACs, right? And you can also use those uh, external HDMI to, to let's say, quote-unquote VGA converters, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, which would solve that for many, many people that do prefer it. But I believe that 6-bit is, just as you mentioned, more than enough in, in general terms for yeah. everything we have. I think usually the low pass filter ends up being your analog CRT. Like that ends up being something which a lot of people point out is a lot of these CRTs aren't in great shape. So the extra bit depth isn't really needed. I say to that agreed, but also it would be nice if we could get the best analog, mm -hmm. best digital output of Mr. For these, all the development that's gone into these cores and all of the features and bug fixes, it, it would be nice to display it the best way possible, even if your end device unit filters out some of that benefit. I fully agree. I've, I'm of the belief that if you can do things better and it's for preservation, uh, you have to push for that because when preserving, for example, floppies or, or a book, uh, I don't want to take too much time on this, but if you have a book for like say from like say the 1500s and you scan it, you can have the version of the book that's just the text, right? Without illustrations, without the fonts, without the paper, without the texture of, of the scans, without the coffee stains or whatever. But there's going to be somebody that does need that for investigation or for uh, documentation or academic papers or something. Same thing can happen here. Uh, there are different levels of uh, consumption. But that doesn't mean that the, let's say, quote-unquote, lowest consumption with the lowest-grade CRT won't be benefited by having a better source. Yep. Mick, are you, are you, how much into analog versus digital are you? I mean, I know you have your MIDI stuff going on, but what about for audio-video stuff? Well, for video stuff, I prefer CRT like, uh, to uh, analog video just because how it looks. And yeah, like uh, the games were kind of designed or like uh, drawn for that, for the CRT smoothness and uh, scrolling. But but uh, since I got uh, like a variable fresh rate, hmm. like modern screen, it's been it's not that. Uh, I mean, it's much better also because you get really smooth scrolling and so on on that. So I'm fine. Yeah, but, we uh, already have the the interpolation in horizontal and integers in vertical that that helps a lot yes yeah 
absolutely. I think so much of what Mr. Users enjoy is the overall experience because emulators have been sharp and they've had filters and fake scan lines and stuff for a long time. So Mr. can maybe at best match some of those offerings, but not many things can you hook up to an original controller, an analog output to a CRT and just play conveniently. It's like pretty, there's definitely, it's not the majority of people that enjoy that, but there's something to be said about recreating the, the original experience, even if modern LCDs approach and with variable, variable refresh rate and color depth and stuff, if they approach the look of the CRT. I agree. And uh, speaking about that, uh, I, I do love having the dual output. I, I love the analog out from the mystery. I use it a lot. And uh, But how do you guys feel about composite video and... Uh, the artifacts that can be made with the in there? Um, well, I, so I've made one, a couple of Mike Chi's um, from RetroTank. He, he made an open source thing for, uh, for Mr. That's that outputs S video, RGB and composite. And I made a simplified version of one uh, kind of like what um, Antonio sells from Spain and the composite. Yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't buy one of the, just for the composite output, which is a shame because here in the US, it's mostly composite TVs that you're going to find. But the S video is really good. And uh, I, I have another prototype coming tomorrow that has a tunable Luma trap to see if I can clean up the composite. But there might be a better solution at a lower level in the future for composite video because it's just not great. I would feel bad, you know, setting anyone's expectations very high on the current state of composite video for Mr. Hmm. Yeah, I also prefer RGB output. It's it's so good with a CRT. I I fully understand you guys because I've uh, I, I I ditched composite like in two thousand and seven when I started with RGB mods and all that stuff and and, and scalers and and PBMs and all that craze. But I can understand the point for composite out because several factors. And uh, last year, we were working precisely with, with uh, Trinix and uh, Mike Chi and several others regarding uh, colors for PC Engine, for example. And I went back to Composite for those because you, you need to use Composite for vector scopes. And we wanted to compare that. And I used the Super Emotion that uh, converts uh, RGB to, to Composite. And it's not the best, but it looked amazing. Uh, Obviously, I'm taking RGB out from the mister and, and transcoding that to composite using 2000's equipment that doesn't do perfect color conversion, but the transparencies and artifacts that are gained on certain games are amazing. And I don't know if you've played with the filter from the Genesis core that, that does this uh, adaptively from, from Dithering. Yeah, I've used that. I think that was one that uh, Electron Ash was working on and ended up in the core. And it, it's pretty cool. I mean, like you said, these games were designed with that in mind. Nowadays, people have preferences every end of the spectrum of how the game should look. But it's nice that Mr. can represent most options. And hopefully, I mean, a, comp a native composite output would be amazing. There's, a, I guess, the, the Tetris, uh, competitive Tetris play world they have a whole bunch of composite CRTs and original NESs, and that's how that's how you play. That's that's their bread and butter. 
Yeah, it's 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 not that I play in Composite, but I do like. Um, well, most precisely, I was amazed on how good it looked when converted from the mister. Uh, last year when we made all those measurements and the other point that it's to be made it's color space because just as uh, Trinix uh, put pushed that palette for for on the team for PC engine we figured out or well we, we didn't figure out we, we worked on, on improving that palette because it had been figured out by, by several people across a couple of decades that the PC engine colors on composite were not exact same matches as on RGB and having composite is a, a historical important factor to have uh, the proper colors and the proper look or assimilation of it of course because we are just trying to recreate the past but it will help people to understand and to experience I believe that having options is uh, is really important for having a healthier community Yeah, I, I very much look forward to the idea of having composite again. All the TVs I come across here locally, just, you know, Facebook Marketplace, or uh, I became good friends with this electronics recycler, and uh, most of the TVs you see here in the U.S. are composite. So even if it's not people's preference, you still get mm -hmm. the feel of analog out. In fact, I found a 14-inch PVM there. I offered him 40 bucks, and he took it. So I got a new Sony 14-inch <laughs> uh, PVM the other day. So lucked into that. Yeah. So regarding that, what what uh, setups do you have, guys? Uh, I have, let's see, a TCL uh, twenty twenty one LED LCD TV, and I have a twenty seven inch uh, Toshiba hooked up to it with Mister, and then I have several candy cabinets I've been testing Mister Cade with, and then it's probably more CRTs than my wife would like just floating around, unfortunately. <laughs> I have a, a 20 inch uh, Sony Trinitron DRT connect, like connected to my. It's a, I really like the seven, uh, 20 inch size because it's, you can move it easily and so on. So I really like it. And uh, they asks us uh, what improvements should would the panel like to see in some of the post processing filters like Scanlines, Soft, etc.? Well, because I play on CRT so much, the filters <laughs> often, you know, they're they're lost on me a little bit. But I do really enjoy some of the core specific ones, like the the filters for SNES that has a different resolution. And I find that some of those have a nice balance between softness and sharpness. And in terms of scan lines, I mean, I've played with MAME and done the crazy um, CRT Royale shaders and stuff. And I just, to me, I'm happy with some 50%, you know, scan line and medium mm. sharpness on LCD. That's my preference. And how about you, Mick? Yeah, I kind of agree with pork chop. Like, uh, I, I love scan lines, so I'm quite happy with. It doesn't need to look perfect, in my opinion, to uh, proper CRT. <laughs> and uh, I also enjoy like a, a really sharp image, like even with just uh, like this nearest neighbor scaling, mm -hmm, no mm -hmm. filters. I can, it, it, for me, it's, uh, I think it's, I 
find it more important that the scrolling is smooth. Yeah. Yeah. Point. Yeah. No shimmering, right? Yeah. One thing I really like about Mister is it distills down your options. I mean, of course, you could do whatever you want developmentally because it's open source for filters or whatever. But I really enjoy that I don't have like when I have to adjust main and I'm going through the video settings and main. You just 30 settings in a row you're adjusting and you just kind of get lost in the configuration. I like that Mister kind of encourages you sit down, configure a few things, and just play. It kind of is less distracting in that regard. Yeah, I agree. I, I fully agree on that. And having the same options across the whole board helps a lot, right? It's the, that standardization. You already know what you want. Although, in some cases, for example, if you're playing Game Boy, you select different options, of course. like You, you don't want the same kind of scanlines. I mean, you can, but... Uh, at least myself, I try to match the and select the LCD filters, which are amazing. Those are really good. Yeah, it it looks. Uh, I I was playing Advance Wars last week on that, and and it was impressive. I hadn't played with that in particular. Yeah, it's just it, I feel like Mister has almost all the options you want, and not too many you don't need. I mean, you need to touch most things. I've tried on the on the setups that I sell. I I don't include any games, of course, mm -hmm. uh, anything that's IP. But I do try to set up all you know my entire database of input mappings for the main system, so you can plug a controller in and get started. And then mm -hmm. I uh, I Fredo helped me make a script. I I basically went and took measurements on all of the major cores for audio output because they vary wildly, especially the arcade cores. They're mm -hmm. all over the place in terms of loudness, and then. We made a little script that's probably outdated now, but to automatically adjust, set each core's volume level to be to match the PC engine core, which is the softest output um, core. So it kind of brings all the other core levels, audio levels down to the PC engine. So you get at least less variation switching between cores. Oh, that's really, really interesting. And I bet a lot of people would, would love that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm sure someone that more talented could do a little bit better job with it, but you know it works. It's just you gotta you gotta do it for every core. You have to you have to kind of normalize the audio to that, and you only get uh, each volume tick and the volume adjustment is uh, is twice as loud or twice as soft. Six dB adjustments, so it's pretty coarse. But again, you can get it pretty close. And uh, that's something that when I when I was getting the Mister uh, thanks thanks to you guys last year. Uh, I was really interested in, in that because video and audio uh, levels and uh, they are like an idealized version and that's something that I, I didn't quite know what to expect because it was until I was uh, fixing that uh, DAC from, from or experimenting with the DAC in the IO board and uh, that I understood that it's an idealized version that saves you so much trouble. What I mean is, if you have the original hardware for arcade PCVs and uh, systems like a PC Engine or NASNES, you have to change the volume when you change hardware. You have to probably recalibrate uh, the, the levels when you, when you switch arcade boards. You have to change the, even the geometry on the CRT. You have to adjust it. And uh, the idea with Mystery is that it's... Uh, idealized in terms of levels like white the whitest white it's going to be the same on the pc engine and the snes and the genesis and uh strider on, on cps1 
and you don't have to mess with the controls, right? Even though there's a standard uh, in terms of what it's supposed to be, the variations between systems are real. When you change between a Genesis and a Super NES on your PBM, uh, one is a, a few uh, pixels to the right and one is a few pixels to the left, right? The dot clocks change, everything of that. And same with volume. But you have an analog uh, version of that that's standardized to, to idealized versions, and I like that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's why it pulled me out of the you know, original hardware world because I was doing the jail bar fixes on my Genesis and I had a mm -hmm. couple PC engine core graphics. One of them had all kinds of graphic problems and, you know, you deal with the routing of the original signals on the original hardware uh, and Mr. just kind of bypasses most of that. It doesn't have, you know, it's not perfect, but it, it really gets you started at a really good place. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's so much easier. I, I really like, uh, mm, like measuring and comparing the differences but it's it's a hassle <laughs> it's just because i like to tinker with them but uh i i can see somebody dealing with that frustration <laughs> with so many systems right it's just out of love if, if you do it totally one one thing somebody asked uh well many people ask and, and this relates to the question about features i'd like to see and it's because i love analog video so much which might not be rational but they would love to see either built into the sys or per core video um, adjustments for horizontal and vertical positioning mm -hmm, some mm -hmm. arcade cores have them in but the arcade cores do at least on, on my on my arcade machines that the output is shifted still because you know they either follow the original schematic and the you know blanking is different um, for various reasons people would love adjustable analog video per core yeah, that's a, a touchy subject because just as you mentioned, yeah, with consoles they are following like kind of the NTSC standard and you can idealize them and center them, right? Or follow yep. the exact pixel clock and, and it's you get the exact same thing as if you have the PC engine connected to the same CRT, right? In terms of centering. It's it's as close yep. as it, it can be right now. Mm -hmm. But the same thing is true with arcade boards. Uh, uh, people didn't experiment this or, or most people didn't but whoever collects arcade pcvs knows that when you plug in a cps2 and you plug in a neo geo you have to readjust white black and uh, horizontal and vertical size not just centering you have to change everything and uh with mister it, it in terms of the analog output it has to be the same way I can see a yep. way to to just like uh, if you change it, you're going to deform the the geometry. Yeah, the only thing you could do is really shift it around. So some of the arcade cores have horizontal and vertical positioning, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and that's it. But not nothing to make it wider or or taller or narrower or shorter. Because again, you're adjusting the you're messing with the pixel clock at that point. Yeah, and and you have to do it every every single time you change cores, you'll have to change those. Uh, for arcade, right? Yep. And the the latest core that I've experienced, this was kind of funny, was uh, arcade V-Ball, the, uh, the recent core that Pierco made. And the resolution on that original arcade game is really odd. It's like a, it's kind of a, almost a vertical orientation within a horizontal Yoko frame. Wow. So it doesn't fill the sides. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, he, I think he, he got it working well enough 
with analog out. Yeah, that's uh, arcade is such a wild territory for that. Does does pinball uh, in terms of the visual pinball that you mentioned at the um, adaptive refresh rates? Uh, of course, it's it's a simulated and analog thing, but the screens. Uh, does this come up uh, for LED simulated screens, uh, uh, Mick? Yeah, it's. Um, oh, I'm not sure I understood. I understood the question. I'm, uh, I sorry, mean, I'm, I'm a bit tired hearing that. Oh no, so it's it's quite late. Yes. We're 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 almost no, finished, Mick. Yeah, no, no problem. No problem. But uh, yeah. What what I'm I'm asking is is there some kind of um, equivalence in terms of the visual pinball uh, about changing the resolution of the screen or the sizes or the refresh rates because there's so much variation in, in pinball yeah well in a pinball it's the the playing field is the most important so you want as high resolution as possible with as high refresh rate as possible because mm. you're emulating like a real thing mm -hmm. so so the real thing doesn't have like this yeah of uh, course it's uh Yes, but but it's you can get really close now with the like uh, it feels almost like a real pinball game, I would say. Yeah, I, I have to experiment some uh, some of that someday. I would love an original pinball cabinet, but you know, which one do you get? They're expensive, it's electromechanical, so there's maintenance. I, I just can't let myself get fall down that rabbit hole because it's a whole nother world space yes. man space space yep yeah that's why the why the visual pinballs are so great because you can have a, a lot of boards in one machine yep i like that idea yeah i have a friend here that does have like a few hundred pinballs like those and uh man it's always uh, uh like several dozen of them are broken down it, uh, <laughs> and i can understand the same happens with arcade pcbs right it's like you open up your box and take out the strikers pcb and then uh, you don't have rev and it's like oh man i have to go and diagnose this again because stuff it's breaks a down for a reason right yeah yeah stuff breaks down because uh people might not uh think about this much but Vibration, drops, uh, any heat to, to an arcade circuit board or game cartridge could affect it. People think that it's because it's solid state, it's um, invulnerable to, to, to the elements, and it is not, right? It decays. Yep. Cold joints happen too. Yeah, cold joints happen, and uh, the bond wires get loose, and uh, even though this, the silicon inside is working, it's not connected to the outside, right? Yep. I had an old, uh, this is totally different, but I had an old Honda from the early 90s, and I went to get in it one day, and it just wouldn't start. And, yeah, it was the, the solder joints on the starter relay, easiest mechanical fix I've, you know, car fix I've ever had to do, but hard to troubleshoot. Electrical <laughs> stuff's really tough to troubleshoot unless you're expert at it. Yeah. You, you, you made me remember, now that we were talking about MIDI, also, an SC55 that I bought uh, that was uh, broken. It, it was just a cold solder on the on the AC adapter. Oh, so sweet. typical, right? <laughs> the easiest of all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very typical. A lot of mechanical stress. 
Yeah, same happens with PC Engine and Genesis and Super Nintendo's, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of stress there. And and speaking of which, uh, you also have to several products for for the splitting the USB hub and uh, and uh, the 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 D18 Nano, right, from the power supply. Sourcing power supplies, I bet, is uh, was was a big issue, and the switches for power, right? Because some people, uh, like myself, love just like shutting it off with the physical switch. Yep. Yeah, there was a lot that went into that. Um, it's interesting. I, I've pretty much determined that the the issue people have, and it's really if you if you put a mechanical hard drive on the USB hub, or if you're using a Wi-Fi adapter, they're separate problems. The Wi-Fi adapters really want 5.0 volts much below that like even 4.9 and they get grumpy they just won't work mechanical hard drives draw so much current off the ports that you end up with a voltage drop mm. which pulls the voltage down also people some people run multiple wire like three eight bit dough adapters and those draw enough current so it's this balance of the d10 nanos power supply outputs 5.2 volts open circuit when you hook everything up, it drops it to like maybe 5.05 volts. Then you have a very narrow from 5.05 to 5 volts to work with adding any extra uh, voltage drop with a switch. So I actually just recently got a whole new shipment of splitter and switches, a thousand of them. And uh, wow. the, the factory used uh, 22 gauge wiring and it dropped the voltage down to 4.95 volts out of the gate with nothing connected and so <sighs> i had to eat that cost and had them redo it but i found that with 18 volt 18 gauge wiring which is the thickest they'll do um that those inline switches really haven't haven't been a problem for a long time thankfully yeah it's it's interesting now that uh, that you mentioned it because a lot of people don't think much about the the gotch of the wire and it's so important in our cave uh, like many of the issues uh, that I've seen in, in some setups is because they don't use a proper gauge for power in, in arcade JAMA cabling. And I bet that you will find that in Mystery Gate someday. I hope it doesn't, but but being yeah. properly made cables, uh, harnesses are, are a big issue. My hope with Mr. Cade is that because I'm generating 5 volt off of a 12 volt regulator on board, mm. I'm only using a 12 volt line. And I mm. did that some of my testers weren't thrilled because they're purists and JAMA spec specifies plus five volts, minus five volts and 12 volts. Well, I already mm -hmm. wasn't doing anything with minus five volts, except I, I have a small load resistor just to keep that line active. But mm -hmm. I used a 12, I'm only using a 12 volt line for everything because arcade power supplies vary. You have to adjust them for each board. And I think yes. that there are going to be a lot of new, new arcade owners who just plug it in and either over or under volt. So to save myself emails, I'm just using the 12 volt regulator to generate five volt on board. And I'm hoping that means that any any arcade system connected will have adequate power, hoping. That's that's really wise from you, yes, because uh, telling people that they need to adjust for five volts in arcade PCVs is, uh, I run an arcade site in Mexico, and it's really hard to to make them understand that that's that's something that they need to change every single PCV they switch. You have to switch check voltage, you have to check audio levels, and you have to check uh, video levels, right, and geometry. 
yeah, it was hard to break away from the standard, but I also think in the long run, this is a better solution. The Mister doesn't actually draw too much. It's about a five to a seven watt device, uh, and then add some to that if you have lots of dongles or hard drives hanging off. But mm -hmm. it's a pretty low powered device, so I I haven't found in all my testing, which is like probably ten to twenty cabinets across all the testers, no issues with power with this twelve volt version. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed. Uh, you know, that's, it's going to be good for everyone. But like you said, arcade hardware is wild. Everything from the JAMA harness all the way back to the power supply, you know, everything's different. So it will be interesting. Yeah, I bet. Uh, I'm guessing you don't have uh, much issues with power, uh, Mick, with the controllers and the gauge from the USB uh, current that you draw from, from the port? No, not really, because uh, the USB is like a it doesn't come from the DE10 Nano mm -hmm. since it, it uses like uh, the USB boards uh, like get power directly from the, from the power supply. So, so it's normally it's no, not a problem. That's, that's reassuring because dealing with that is a pain. Yeah. Mick, have you had any people complain about their micro USB not working, but... I think 8-Bit Doe sells some of their controllers with a power-only micro-USB cable, which I don't know why they do that nowadays, uh, but there's, there are no data wires. Have you had that issue with anybody? Yes, yeah, that's a uh, yeah, good point. Yeah, I have some, uh, had some questions about that, like uh, customers asking why, why it's not working, and it's probably, like, usually been the, the power-only USB cable. Mm -hmm. Such a shame to save a half cent. I mean, nowadays, micro USB cables, you trip over them. Uh, just, yeah, they're not wired up for data and then not market and people not know. What a headache. Yes, yeah. So uh, we're closing, uh, we're, we're getting close to the end of this program. Uh, if you guys have any, any themes that you'd like to mention or, or stuff that you'd like to to promote or talk about, uh, please uh, go ahead and do so. And also the public, any closing questions that they have, please uh, just post them. Yeah, well, okay. Uh, one project I have been working on uh, is, uh, I forgot to mention, like it's, uh, I have a few boards ready that I will uh, like, hopefully be able to sell soon is uh, like this one player adapter. People have been asking, uh, me to make like this one player adapter with SNES, NES, and uh, Genesis ports. Oh, really interesting. So, so uh, but I made a combination. So the, the old adapters, uh, like the gen it's a separate Genesis adapter, Mega Drive, and uh, CD32, or like these normal classic Atari Commodore controllers, because the, the pinout is slightly mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. So I have the like an auto sensing version of that. So it works with most uh, like nine pin controller controllers like and uh, then it's a uh, one SNES and one NES port on it. And it also has uh, it has USB-C. So it's more it has a more reliable connection for USB. Wow, so, so, so many I, questions there. <laughs> Sorry, please go ahead. Yeah, so I will hopefully be able to supply some of those soon. So that would work. You have 
a single USB to three controllers adapters, control adapters that's one player. Yes. Uh, but could it be used at the same time, the three controllers? Like Yeah, they can be used at the same time. That's awesome, yeah. And and have like a I don't know, uh Turtles game on the Super Nintendo played with a Genesis and an S controller, right? Yeah. And uh the other uh, question regarding the nine pin port, some of us have the those uh arcade sticks that are made for for X68000, PC88, MSX computers, which are kind of compatible with everything else, but not exactly. Would that uh, kind of uh, arcade stick or, or joystick be compatible? Sometimes they do have a switch to, to change to Genesis mode, but but not all of them. That's something mm. that you might want to consider and in terms of uh, not having issues. A good point. I Honestly, I haven't thought about that one. Now that you say it, I, it was, oh, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I, I'm sorry yeah. to bring it up, but that's the first use I thought about because I have several of those controllers right next to me. And Yeah, I have to, uh, have to look into it. It's possible that I can modify the firmware, but I'm not sure. I have to see. Yeah, and uh, somebody asked us if there's a, two, a dual two-player snack option covered. Um, uh, yeah, Porkchop, do you want to? Oh, no, you can, you can say whatever you want to say. Yeah, there is like a two-player snack option. Like uh, Antonio Villena, I think, made some Snack Plus version. So mm. I've been thinking of uh, adding support for that for the MSTR case. But yeah, it's work in progress, so I don't... I can't say anything specific about that. Hmm. I've been working uh, on a two-player snack as well, but uh, again, I'm I'm a basic hardware guy, and someone else has it, and they're looking at implementing it. So, uh, don't want to get anyone's hopes up, but it would be kind of the dream to have two-player snack for the people who really want to use two original controllers. Or the other scenario is people use multi-taps with snack. But the issue is uh, multi-taps for most of the consoles end up being two-player through five-player. So players two, three, four, and five, but not player one on the multi-tap. So you still need one person to be USB. So two-player snack would be great. Um, I have my fingers crossed it'll work out, but I, I don't have anything concrete to say about that right now. Hmm. And... Uh... Uh, another one for Porkchop. Are you considering using a distributor in the European Union for your aluminum case? Um, hmm. <laughs> it would be nice for the customers and, and hard for me, I think, because what I've found with the aluminum cases is, even though they're very nice, like the silkscreen logo on top in one color in particular, um, I this last order I had probably... 10 to 15%, maybe 20% defects in that silk screen. And so shipping is really hard. Mick, do you, I mean, do you agree that shipping is way more complicated than it should be? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> so it, it's kind of tricky. I, I, I don't have any distributors right now. And my thought is as long as I'm selling enough to be happy, I would rather not work with a distributor because it's just, it's tricky. And there are other reasons I have, but I guess for the short answer right now is no. I'm almost sold out of this round. 
you know, round three will be in a couple months. The factory's already started on it. I made some modifications to the case, um, just tweaking it each iteration. But I don't have any plans for any other distributors, but the tax laws are changing. I mean, the UK Brexit thing already hit. Now the EU thing, they want you to charge value-added tax and remit to the EU if you're an outside company, which for a small business like me just sucks away time that I would rather be spending developing. So I may end up using eBay or something else and have mm-hmm, to upcharge mm-hmm. um, and just let eBay handle that because it's just too draining for a small company to worry about all these different tax laws. Yeah, it can it can destroy you. Yeah, I've got to keep my motivation up because I have lots of ideas and limited time and I don't want to be using my time on mundane you know, tasks like that. Yeah, I fully understand. Uh, they they ask you, Mick. You seem to know a lot about timings for different operations on an Arduino. Could I get your help adding nanoseconds of lag to the tester code? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm th- I'm thinking uh, he might be talking about the like um, to make an artificial lag for the adapters to like simulate lag. And uh, I've been uh, planning on doing something like that. It would be really nice to see, like, to add artificial lag to see when stop people start noticing the lag and so <laughs> on. <laughs> like uh, blind, cool. blind testing. Yep. See what human perception really is. I think in this case, it's Limonichi. He's asking about uh, the code for the uh, input latency testing that I've been doing. He's wanting yeah. to get more precision out. Then Right now, it's using the micros function. He's wondering yeah. if there's any way to get more than micros. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, absolutely. Shoot me an email, a message or something, a private message, and I can see if I can help. Nice. And they asked, asked us also, is there a favor recommendation for someone like me who wants a, load, 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 sorry, a good low latency arcade stick or two for Mr., but isn't ready to build a full-on arcade cab or something? Any recommendations? I, I don't have any. I did a bunch of arcade, like off the shelf. I tested the Mayflash. I tested several of the Hori Real Arcade Pros for PS4, you know, Switch, Xbox One, all those. And none of them are great. And I would say use a mix controller arcade adapter and, and you know, wire it into whichever stick you like the form factor <laughs> of. Just know, Mick, can you tell which systems that gives you uh, output support so you can hook it up to mr or pc or linux right are there any other systems that your uh, arcade board works with um not at the moment no i'm working on a new version that will hopefully that i will hopefully be able to like uh, include other support but it's working progress also so it's but the current one is uh, is like linux mac pc and mr or like, of course, Raspberry Pi, Linux. But that's my, that's my opinion, is find an arcade stick you like the form factor of, and you might give up the extra systems that it's compatible with, but if you just want Mr., get one of Mix adapters or make one or whatever, and wire it up to whichever stick you like and get the buttons you like. That's my opinion. Otherwise, look at the results on my spreadsheet. You can mm-hmm. filter, or it's not on the spreadsheet, on the RPUB site. You can filter by type. So I have all the joysticks. You can filter just the joysticks and look at them to see which ones you like. And what's on sale and select from there, just a small recess. So uh, 
we're almost done. And um, well, I want to thank you guys for for your time. It's been uh, an amazing evening, a night for you, Mick. I hope you get your your good night rest after this, at least some. Yeah, thank you. It's been, it's been an honor to be on on this event. I really liked it, and uh, <laughs> it's been it's a privilege to be a part of this great community. Also, no, thank you. It's it's been great having you, and and also you, uh, Porkchop. It's it's been an honor to be talking to you and uh, learning so much from you and and everything you both guys do for the community. Uh, so thank you for your time tonight and, and today, or depending on when people hear us. And uh, thank you, Porkchip. Oh yeah, thank you. It's it's an honor to be with Mick and Artemio and a whole bunch of these other people in the in the audience. I see that are heroes of mine that have inspired me or helped me or whatever. So it's an honor to be here. And uh, I'd, I'd also like to thank, of course, uh, Sentient Six and Katrinix for giving us the space for this, and to all the community. It's been amazing an amazing uh trip and learning and working uh with you guys i i've been i've received so much uh from from this community as well in terms of knowledge and and uh getting to know people like you so thank you very much yes thank you have a have a good day everyone yeah thank you and uh, good night yeah good night mick please <laughs> rest after this <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dream of our of uh controller combinations you can hope Damon bite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, take care. All right. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.